two, one. Caden's pouring a drink. <laughs> oh. Sorry, guys. You fucking asshole. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, Cody's even... the loudest fucking sneezer of all time. Drives me crazy. It's like one of those things where you know they're trying to be loud. Like they can, I can sneeze fucking quiet, dude. Yeah, I can sneeze really quiet if I like in in public or whatever. Just like right, <clears throat> whatever. Cody is like, <laughs> <laughs> how far away do you work from him? How many feet would you say? Twenty feet. So, like, two cubicles down. Yep, exactly. And across the thing. And it's so weird. Sneezing is the fucking dumbest thing because it's literally someone screaming, but then once you realize, like, the sound of it, you're like, oh, it was just a sneeze, and you, like, dismiss it. It's not like we don't find it strange that we just, for a second, just go, ah! Like, for no reason. <laughs> we just fucking do that. I think that's part of the reason why the God bless you thing came around. Um because, like, the whole idea behind God bless you was, or bless you in general, was the, that uh, sneezing was your uh, soul trying to leave your body. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I always thought it meant a ghost interview or something. No. No, that's the yawning thing. Yeah, no, the yawning is different. The sneezing, like, the, ah, chew, like, that, I think that's where that whole idea originated was, uh. Like, the scream right before the sneeze was like your soul trying to leave your body. Do you know the yawning one? No, I've never heard of that. The idea is that when you're yawning, a ghost is putting its dick in your mouth. What? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I didn't make it up. <coughs> I, that's why I still laugh at, like a little kid to this day when someone does like a really big yawn. Like a really long one. It's a really big dick. Yeah, because well, some people go like... <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's some thrusting. That's some ghost thrust in action. <laughs> so I refrain from yawning as much as possible after learning that. Because there, there are some forceful ghosts, dude, if that's the case. Yawning ghost. Ghost theory. Maybe it started with a meme. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, why we yawn? Yeah, that's probably scientific. Fuck that. No. Is a, is an actually a direct physical reaction to a ghost trying to fit its entire fist in your mouth. Okay, so that's like more of the safe for work one. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's the first search, lifestyle. Um, dot clickhole. Dot com. Woo! That is some strong vodka. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I don't know where I heard it from. I know it was in security somewhere. Probably wreck. No, uh, maybe. It could have been. It's probably Ben. Mark Tracy. <laughs> yeah, Mark. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of sucks. Uh, we had Shelby planned to be on today. Um, and she had to cancel on us this morning, unfortunately. I don't know. Maybe she listened to us and got scared. I have no idea. We'll have to talk to her tomorrow. She should be scared. She should be terrified. There's no reason to be afraid of either one of us, though. Dude, it's terrifying. Look, we got creatine on the table. We got a couple. We got a piece of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, we got a piece of the Berlin Wall. We've got a trench knife from World War I. We got a lamp that's not plugged in. (laughs) 
We got it all, man. <laughs> got some rotten bananas behind me. No, those aren't quite rotten. Not that yeah. bad. I'd, I'd be willing to eat them. You could probably put them in a nice banana bread or something. I, I would eat one of those. I think that's how you're supposed to put them in bread, actually. No. Here, hand me one. I'll eat it right now. I'll yeah. prove it to you. Oh, yeah. we can make smoothies after this. No, like I will eat one in front of I you. I believe just... you will. I'm just saying I'll make you a smoothie afterward if you want without the green stuff if you want. Okay. Or that I, sounds good. Cause... Dude, I bet you that put that oatmeal and protein powder would actually taste really good. And yeah. some almond milk. Oh, man. I've got soy milk, not almond milk. Well, we could probably do it. We could probably. We don't need much. It's like eight ounces or something. I don't even think it's that. It's like four ounces. Anyways. We got a couple of baseballs, a mock-up hand grenade. I mean, I could understand why this environment might be intimidating to someone. Go stick. <laughs> well, I'm not going to. Dude, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to jump out and start attacking someone with an ice pick. I mean, we've made it 25 episodes on the air now, and uh, we have way more in, in the bank. It's like I'm not I, – I don't – I can understand it. You're going to someone's house, whatever. But that's everything in life, right? Like I, genu- I, went, to the, I went to a film audition. I didn't know if it was casting couch. I didn't fucking know. It was in a hair salon, dude. Imagine the thoughts going through my head. Yeah, and well – a few times that I've been climbing with people of the opposite gender, especially if it's the first time and they don't know me a lot, yeah, they'll usually invite someone else to come with us, and it's like, fine, I don't care, and then they just see I'm like about I'm all, I'm all about climbing and I don't really give a shit about trying to get that booty hole out in the middle of the woods, yeah, you know? and exactly, uh, yeah, but. Like, I mean, like, Shelby's interacted with us enough that I would hope she'd feel comfortable coming over. For sure. Uzi, stop. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, like, I don't know if she canceled because, like, she said that it was a family thing, but you're going to have to take it away from him. Uh, But I think that uh, she's telling the truth on that, and until proven otherwise, that's what I'm going to think. But I, it wouldn't be surprising to me if somebody had canceled on us in the past after listening to us and being like, I just don't feel comfortable being on and giving us some bullshit excuse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, um, maybe she saw the machete in my car. And, but, you know, like, there might be a way to ease other people into this a little bit better like maybe uh invite him over to play a game with everybody first like a week or two ahead of time and then invite him on i don't i don't even think it's that honestly i think what it is is there's a level of intimidation um to being on something to like having your voice put out there yeah it's a it this is a production like and if you think about it 99.99 percent of the world does not do this so this is like being on – it's like if you were invited to be on a TV show, right? Like that's out of your realm of understanding or my realm of understanding. So it yeah. would be like really like intimidating. Like you think about it, you're nervous or whatever. And nerves play into it. Like I totally get that. And podcasting – podcasting is one of those things that until you start doing it frequently, you're never really comfortable with it until you True. get to that point. True. So it's like being a guest. I get it. And a lot of the people that – Go guests on other podcasts have done it for a while. This is probably the first podcast. Or pod- talk shows, even. 
They've done talk shows before they've done podcasts. Right. I guarantee you, Richie's probably never done a podcast before. Was he on uh was he on mine originally? No, he was on ours. He was on ours? Okay. He got he had just gotten back from uh I think like Nepal or something like that. He was doing geological That's right. work out there. That's right. I and, remember that. Uh and then he came on and was talking to us about that and then he found out he was a dad and right. came on and talked to us about that. Um we need to have him on again. He's a pretty good conversationalist. Yeah. But um I'm gonna have Jordan on too. I invited him. See, and I'm okay with Jordan. Yeah. Um He's he's an interesting character. Uh he's very passionate about what he does. Mm-hmm. Um We've had Simon on uh a couple of times. Simon's oh. not very open though. He's got like that stiff upper lip like rigid russian personality when it comes to opening up to people like you really have to work at getting him right to open up for sure uh i've known him for over 20 years and i still don't know a lot about his um, feelings no not just his feelings but like i don't know a lot about before he came here oh okay like he won't talk about it he talks about his family back in russia like his grandparents and stuff yeah but uh, he 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 just won't talk about um, his life before he moved to the U.S. It's like he wants to forget about it almost. I don't know why. Yeah. He, I mean, he goes back to Russia every few years for months at a time, obviously, because his family lives there. They apparently they live near Lake Baikal, which is the deepest lake in the world. Really? Yes. All right. Um. Probably because you drown a motherfuckers out there. Probably <laughs> going think? out for a couple weeks. A couple weeks out of the year, he's got to get that itch. <laughs> dropping people with some cement shoes in there. Yeah, like Robert De Niro and the Irishman. He's <laughs> dropping weapons in it. He's dropping bodies. He's just going out. Yeah. See, I... Um, he probably gets a grant from the Russian government doing that, dude. No, but I do remember like the last time he wanted to go out, he looked at his... Um, uh. It's weird, like, um, this the citizenship thing, like, when we have people become a citizen of yeah. the United States, we're like, okay, you're not part of your old country anymore, but you were born there, right? So right. the Russian government still recognizes him as a citizen of Russia. True. So he can go to the Russian embassy in San Francisco and pick up a, pa- a Russian passport, and he does it. Because it's easier to get home to see his family. So he doesn't have to, like, get a traditional passport then? He, he does. He, so he has an, a U.S. passport, but he also has, like, this Russian passport. Okay. Because he's still, like, in the Russian government papers, like, since he was born there, he's still identified as a Russian citizen. Okay. Okay. It's like people that expatriate from here... And I, I think that's a stupid word to use. We'll just say emigrate. The people that revoke their citizenship. Yeah, but do you really revoke it? You do, but you have to pay forward taxes projected until you're 65. So if you see, left, you'd have to pay those taxes. See, but like, what if you just left and became a citizen of another country and didn't do that? The IRS would come after you. 
And if if yeah, but if you're not making any discernible income, you are overseas. Any money that you make in this world, the U.S. has the right to tax it. Did you know that? That's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? Um, yeah. Now there are a few countries that um, have deals. So Canada's one of them, for example. They say like if you're paying Canadian taxes, you're a citizen of Canada. You can have dual citizenship, and as long as you're paying taxes up there, you still have to fire, file a form with the IRS. But you don't have to pay them taxes. Right. So, like, we're literally property of the United States no matter where you go and make money. <laughs> so, so my understanding um, with other countries and people that move here is it's different. Simon doesn't have to pay Russian taxes. Right. But he's still recognized on their books as a Russian citizen. So, like, when, it, when he wanted to go back home, he realized his, uh, like, his Russian – documentation or whatever was expired yeah he went to the russian embassy in san francisco and got a new passport for russia because it's easier to cross customs right. in russia with a russian passport yeah than it is a foreign country because obviously they're like oh you belong here yeah that and, makes sense and um yeah it, it's it's just really bizarre because like a lot of people think like oh your citizenship oath like makes you not be part of the country you came from. And it's like, that may be true on behalf of the United States, but not necessarily on behalf of that country. Right. Yeah. H here, at least, if I leave and get citizenship in Spain, I'm a dual citizen. Uh, and unless they have a tax um, like agreement, you have to pay taxes in both, even if you make all of your money. And fuck that, dude. Yeah, that's that's where I'm not driving on U.S. roads at that point. You know, like I'm not right. You know, like. It's true. It's that's that's. It's funny, man. That's that's uh, how it is. And I didn't learn that until I like legitimately was looking for jobs, not even for like political reasons to move to Canada. I just thought it'd be cool to live there for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, you know, if if you're young enough and you have the means to do so, even I mean, it's a little more dangerous to do it without the means. But even if you don't have the means to do so, I encourage. Yeah. Getting out of your home country and it, living somewhere else. It's hard. While. It's hard to get citizenship in Canada. Yeah, but I mean, you could probably get like a resident alien, <laughs> right? So, so what you do is you have to apply for a job, um, get hired by a company, and they'll sponsor you for a visa. And okay. then if, if you work there for long enough, you you have to meet other certain criteria, but then of you course. can become a, a citizen. And, um, but like how many people along the Montana, Idaho, Washington, like North Dakota border or whatever, like live in Canada. It, it's the same thing in Southern California. Like there's tons of people that live in Mexico and they have jobs in the United States. They cross the border every day. Yeah. Twice. Yep. Go back and forth home, you know? So, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like they're. There's probably a way to live in Washington and get your job in Canada. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. There definitely and, and is. And then work it that way. But there um, definitely is. You you still need a work visa. You don't have to apply for citizenship. You can renew your visa. Um, but it, it and that's that's I don't want to get too into it, but that's a big reason with immigration is why it needs to be a little more strict here is because the reason why we have to continue paying taxes if we leave the country is because we can't sustain how much we're spending based on how much the revenue they're taking in. So all these programs that we have for undocumented people from everywhere, not just Mexico, 
there's undocumented people from all over the world. Oh yeah. Uh, th- there's probably over fifty million. Something. There's probably over fifty million. And if they're not being taxed, and they're taking the money out, then we pay the price in that way. And that's that's just a that's just a fact. Um, right. And it, it sucks. Like I w- I wish I could move to Spain, work in Spain, and then just pay taxes there. I'm still a U.S. citizen. I don't have to worry about like paying taxes because I'm not in the country. That that should be how it is, but it's not. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Because how many U.S. citizens retire, remove their entire life savings as one lump sum, whether it's a Roth IRA or a regular IRA or whatever. Mm-hmm. They get taxed that one time. They'll jet off to Cabo San Lucas, buy property, and li- live out the rest of their life in Mexico. Yeah. You know. It's a like, good move. I mean, it, it's not a bad move, but I'm saying, like, you know, like, if you can do that as a retiree and not have to, like, declare a change of citizenship officially. Right. Like, if you're not, if you don't have an income, then they can't tax you on the income is basically what I'm saying. Exactly. But, like, it shouldn't be that way. Like, right. You should be able to just, like, I don't know. that. I it, agree. That's why I think, a, I, I think they should get away with income tax. Income tax was introduced only in times of war back in the day. We were only taxed on income when we were at war. Um, now it's all of the time. Oh, it'd be crippling to do that now. I think what it should be is a sales tax. No income tax and a flat sales tax. Sales tax make it 20%. Because there's one thing that criminals can't get away with. They can avoid income tax. They can't get away with sales tax. Everyone yeah. buys shit. That's so, true. If you if That's you just, very true. if you just had a flat sales tax and no other tax, I, I would I don't know the math, but that would be a more fair system. Um, and it would and I also think like speeding tickets and shit should scale like some of the Scandinavian countries. So like if, if it's five miles an hour over, it's less than. So if it's five miles an hour over, you owe. Uh, let's say, let's say it's one percent of your yearly income that's how much it's worth so if a billionaire does it all of a sudden you know right now they that's treat a one million dollars yeah. right they treat it right now as if like oh it's a couple hundred bucks i don't give a fuck um, right but if you you know if i get a 200 dollars speeding ticket that hurts me if somebody gets a two million dollar speeding ticket that hurts them 200 dollars does not hurt them that's true so yeah and i've been thinking about that as i i've gotten older as well um but like as i've gotten older and more stable like when i was a teenager i drove a lot more recklessly right you know and part of that is uh just because you're a fucking idiot teenager right uh the other part is you don't really know how to drive yet true um but, like, as I've gotten older, I've been more cautious because I've been in a couple of accidents. Yeah. But not only that, like, the way I view speeding now is it's completely, like, reckless and in- endangering to the people around you. Yeah. But if I were to get a speeding ticket personally now, I'd be like, oh, this sucks. But 
it wasn't like a financially crippling endeavor like it was before. Right. Um, when, when I was 17 or 18, if I got a speeding ticket, that was $300. That was two and a half weeks worth of work for me. Right. Back then. Yeah. You know, like, it was like, holy shit. How am I going to deal with this? Yeah, dude. But, but now it's like, I talked to my wife, like, I haven't gotten a, a ticket for anything in close to 10 years. Right. Um, if not more, uh. But if something something like that were to happen, and it has happened for my wife because um, she's a little airheaded when she drives, uh, it's it's a small discussion at the dinner table and we move on with her life. You yeah. know, like, oh, I got a speeding ticket. Do you know how much it's worth? Well, no, I have to wait for the court to process it. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Court processes it like three weeks later or whatever. You owe the city of Taylorsville $400. Yeah. Well, this sucks, but here you go. Right. And then, like, four weeks after the fine is paid, we don't even think about it anymore because it, like, affects us so insignificantly. But like you said, if it's a— $4,000? If it's a tiered system, yeah. And if they were like, okay, well, you were speeding, we're going to charge you 1% of your annual income. For us, that'd be $8,000. Yeah. That's fucking outrageous. Yeah. No, that'd be. I think that'd be ten percent. That that would be. It'd be eight hundred bucks, I guess. But even then, I mean, like eight hundred bucks is nothing to sneeze at. And that's five miles an hour over. Imagine if it's twenty miles an hour over, and then it becomes five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. People so. are people are gonna like take it more seriously, and I don't mean to point out a certain group of people, but and. I don't mean to offend these people, but Range Rover uh, drivers, you're assholes. You fucking suck. I, I've oh, never. Oh, dude, I had a uh, not just Range Rovers, but there's some people driving around in forty thousand dollar F one fifties that drive like fucking dicks too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had one riding my ass, dude. I was doing five over the speed limit on a surface street, coming up the hill over there by Reams. Yeah. And this guy was hugging my ass the whole way up the hill. I passed a car, he got past him, he cut them off, went around me, flipped me off, and then cut me off. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, and it's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, that's what – and you know what? Another thing, older people too, when you get older, like it's been a long time since you've gone through driver's ed. The world's changed. People drive faster. More people. It becomes more complex. If you got your driver's license in the 40s, it's a different ball game oh, than absolutely. it is now. Yet you don't have to retake the test. You don't have to retake driver's ed, right? Yeah. Uh, and what do we give them for that? Free, uh, cheaper insurance. Because they're less of a liability. Like it, the whole system is. So I, I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit. Okay. Okay. Uh, with elderly people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's been forever since they've taken the driver's qualification or whatever and to get their license. Yep. Uh, but they have been alive dealing with this change as it's happening. Yeah. So it's part of everyday life. Okay. okay. So say 10 years from now, mm-hmm. they release some sort of VR virtual reality video game system. That's an implant 
that you can have installed in like the back of your head as a chip for a, for however much money and people are doing this yep um and it's just part of everyday society okay unless a comet hits the earth you're going to be alive 10 years from now yeah this yep. is going to be a technology and a society that you are responsible for helping integrate yep and okay. and you're experiencing the change as it's happening along with the population change right so how does like why would my question to you is why would they charge you more for this hypothetical system versus like car insurance in this age because you're 10 years older and you've grown up with the population expanding and you're like you're used to like more and more people being on the roads and shit honestly the only reason is because after the age of 25 your brain starts losing it's called atrophy atrophy yeah i can't remember what receptor you stop losing it's like it's either i don't think it's dopamine it might be serotonin receptors something some sort of receptors it actually starts to shrink in size really yeah you start learning basically your ability to learn decreases over time True, and they've proven that. Um, I don't think they should have to pay more. However, I think it should not be based on that. I think the integration of AI and why I love my insurance company so much is I'm not based off of... I don't fall into a category, right? Before you go with whoever, Geico, let's say. You get put into a category. You're between the age of 21 and 25. Okay, let's look at those group of drivers. Okay, you drive this type of car. That's a sedan. Let's let's narrow it down. Look at those group of drivers. Okay, um, you're single. Let's narrow it down. Let's look at the group of people that we see that are just like you. And it looks like they all drive like ass. So you immediately drive like ass. Now, where it's changed is we all carry around this little computer with us now. Yeah. And uh, they can track individuals now. So there's no need to put you in a category they can see you and how uh, comfortable are you with them watching your every move i'm okay with it if it um like for insurance purposes if they're using that data to determine if you're a good driver or bad driver and you get that's not the only reason they're using it though well guns don't kill people the government does sure right (laughs) but with the with the data and i'm not i i love data i think data is fucking awesome what I don't like is data being sold and data being combined and data being combined into one big system. I don't like that. But if an insurance company says, you you know, we have a policy, we don't share the data, the data's ours. That's why I like Whoop. They keep their data internal. Um, if the data is kept internal, then I know it's only being used for that purpose. They shouldn't be able to sell data. That's ridiculous. That's fucking dumb, actually. So if data – and that will be sorted out within the next five years. You it, think? Yeah, it will catch up because Congress just doesn't understand it. Well, they're dinosaurs. Exactly. Uh, but not only that, they're, uh, another huge part of Congress as a problem is uh, just the, the, like, the partisanship, you know? Like, yeah. They, they tow the party line, and they don't focus on other shit than the party line, you know? Right. If it's not important to the party, it's not important to them. Right. And there was a, uh, and I, I don't want to get too like partisan or whatever, but I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a Democrat from New Jersey who proposed two bills. He proposed 
The first bill, whether you agree with it or not, he just said, every company has the right, if they want to, to put in God we trust on their building in some way, if you want to. Sure. So it gives you the freedom. Sure. He also proposed another bill that says, you should be able to fly the American flag without restriction, without any sort of regulation, no need to buy a permit, as long as you're flying the American flag in a respectful way, you can do it. Those are the two bills that he wrote. Okay. Somebody, uh, and after he proposed those bills, a lot of Democrats came up to him and were disgusted by the bills. Why? Because they viewed the American flag as a hate symbol or whatever. Like, my, my only concern with the American flag thing is, and I mean, like, there's other laws to counteract this, obviously, but, yeah, like, w- with a bill like that, technically I could move to his state and erect a 200-foot flagpole in my front yard. Yeah. And put an American flag on it. But that then that interferes with air traffic, right? Like, sure. So, well, I mean, if but, it, I, think if, I think it's just kind of like most people would not do that. <laughs> um, That's but, exactly where my mind went. I was like, oh, if that happened here in Utah, I could put a fucking tower outside and fly this giant American flag and block lifelight from the ski resorts. The idea was that it was... The personal choice of freedom. That's what he was pushing. Correct. Yeah. Um, No, and and I don't disagree with it. I'm just saying like. Right. No, and I, yeah, I get you. (laughs) And then another thing happened. So he, uh, with the whole bullshit, the whole, I'm not saying the impeachment's bullshit. I'm just saying the whole fucking hearing about it all the time is bullshit. Um, He was told by somebody in his county, a young, um, a, a young county representative that if he didn't vote yes on the impeachment as a Democrat. He would use his power to make sure he didn't get votes to get back into office when election came back up. And when that happened, plus the bills, he switched to the Republican Party for that reason. It's oh, just the happened, Democrat did? It happened yesterday. Um, and it's just one of those fucking weird things um, that... I don't fuck. I don't even remember where we're going with this. Just a second. So we're pulling up the fact check me here. Yeah. Yeah. This is him. Jeff Van Drew. I mean, we're just talking. Just keep going, man. Like, it doesn't I don't remember really, where I was going with it. It doesn't matter. Um, fuck it, dude. Like, but the whole partisanship, the whole partisanship, it just goes to show. It just goes to show. That there are some people on both on on at least right now the Democratic side that want to work together, um, and I believe that for the Republican side as well. See, and here's the thing: the Republican side have been more unanimous lately. They they've been a lot more, uh, and they don't agree on everything, but they have been a lot more unified lately, um, as of late. And even then, well, I watched, I think it's because they feel like they're being attacked. It, it's possible. I mean, it's possible, but any one of the Republicans could switch sides at any point. There's nothing keeping them from not doing that. True. Um, And especially right now, I watched the whole press briefing where the Republicans said, like, we want to get things done. And I'm not a Republican, so. But they said, we want to get things done. Um, We don't want to be about partisanship. If there are any other people on any party that want to join us in helping get things done, you're welcome to join us. And that was kind of like, holy shit. Like that, they're, they're, I think we're at a turning point 
Um, and one, he's like, he's like, I know a lot of good Democrats. He said, like, the guy said that. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of good Democrats. But unfortunately, the ones that are extremely far left and radical are the ones that control everything right now. And they're strong arming that you're going to either be completely on our side. We don't want any middle line people. We don't want centralized Democrats. And that's where he disagreed with. See, and that's where I think. um, God, it's so hard because like the the founding fathers never really intended for a two party system to happen. And but we're here. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think we'd greatly benefit from literally like creating a pool of middle line candidates Mm -hmm. and tossing out one third of Congress and being like, this is what you have to choose from. Yeah. There should be term limits for sure on Congress. Oh, for sure. But also just like having people that are middle of the road. Yeah. You know, because like I said, with like this, and it was the same thing when President Obama got elected. Like there was like this, like, oh, he's a commie son of a bitch, you know, and yeah. and all this other stuff. Uh, with the Republican Party, they were like slandering him and like throwing True. him under the bus. And they like, were not unified at that point either. No, and they were trying so hard. Like there, there was like the Tea Party, and there was like all these different fractions of conservatism, conservativism. Yeah. Um, Working towards the common goal of getting Obama out of office. Sure. And now it's on it's it's the backswing, but and like I said last, uh, I said this to you a few few days ago. I don't know if I said this to you last time we were on the mics, but I think if you dig in, into any political person right. far enough, period, you'll find something. You'll find something that allows you to remove them from their their station. Yeah. Like. Period. Right. You you don't go to you don't get to that level without having done some nefarious shit. Yeah. Uh, but the the country itself, I think, is obviously more left leaning than it was in the past. In in a lot of ways, that's a great thing mm-hmm. socially. Right acceptance of gay marriage acceptance of you know like transgender people you know um just like the the idea of letting people be who they are and act right as long as they're not killing one anyone or hurting anyone act as though they're like they're themselves and not like having repercussions for it but uh like the like you said the extreme like the I think the extremist left has looked at this as an opportunity to just attack all out, right? Um, the right and, uh, you know, I really feel like we'd benefit from eliminating one third of Congress and bringing bringing in some people that are truly middle ground, and just being like, you know, this, yeah. like here, you right. know. Because those those are the guys that are going to be sitting, not on the left or on the right, but in the aisle and like analyzing data from both sides and going, okay, like, right, should we really impeach this guy? Is this a party line thing or is this like an actual impeachable offense? Right. And that's where, and again, not a Republican, 
that's where I've seen the change is because the Republican Party is not the same Republican Party that of it has. Bush's era. Right. Bush was not a good president. <laughs> he was not a good president. <laughs> Bush Sr., Bill Clinton, Bush Jr. Up until the current guy, he was the lowest IQ we've had on the office chair. Clinton, I would say even Clinton wanted a lot of good. He was involved in some shady shit. It's still like coming out, and I'm not too versed. I don't get too deep into like their personal I'll lives. I'll put the or... blast, blast shields down tonight. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't need to see you uh, quote unquote suicided tomorrow. No, I don't. I like whatever. But anyways, with <laughs> the current Republican Party, like no matter what, the uh, like don't ask, don't tell or whatever was repealed. And it was replaced by, like, being able to be openly gay or whatever. I think that's fine. And that passed through both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. That's what right. I'm getting at. The, the Republicans now don't care so much about social issues. They're, they're, I think they're for personal freedom. I think that's what I'm starting to see a trend in. And we're being told, like, it's all about greed. It's all about money. But people aren't versed into the greed aspect because if the money gets better in the economy and these big companies, you have the opportunity to invest in those companies too. I read an article, which I'm actively doing, right? I read an article yesterday from a very left, left, far, far left leaning journalist who was saying why this, uh, Utah tax raise is bad or it's maybe it's a, it's a tax cut. Why it only hurts. Um, or only helps the, the uh, wealthy. They're uh-huh. like, well, if it's only a 0.25% tax cut, then you only save this much money. But someone making this much money saves this big chunk of money. So it's only helping the rich. It's like, well, yeah, but it's all relative. Like $200 more in the average person's pocket is just as significant as $20,000 in somebody making a lot of money. They don't look at $20,000 and they're like, fuck yeah, we got it. Like, yeah, that's just not how it works. And, and that's that I will say that's true. Like, like before with the speeding ticket thing, it's a percentage game, right? Right. Like, you know, (laughs) somebody that makes $15,000 a year, $200 to them is a hell of a lot more money than someone that makes 1.5 million. Right. Uh, but, you know, I do think in regards to maybe what this person is saying about the taxes is um, the tax breaks specifically. Yep. Is, you know, how is this person going to spend that $200 versus that 20000 Sure. But I think but, if you have that much wealth, you already know how to spend your money responsibly anyways. Well, is it responsible? Well, anyone can make that much money. Like, well, but like, okay, let me kind of finish with what where I'm going here. Sure. You give a single mother of three kids two hundred extra dollars a year. Mm-hmm. She may not notice it, like fully notice it. Right. But you know, to that person, that's um, more food on the table, new tires on the car. Sure. You know, uh, versus like uh, a 1.5 million, like somebody that makes 1.5 million a year and they get 20,000 extra dollars a year. Yeah. 
that's a new car. It's not a new. Yeah. It's not new tires. It's not more food on the table. Sure. It's a, it, it's a vacation to Maui for a month and sure. a half. You know, like it, it it's it, it it is different. Yeah, and I can see like where like, but you get into this whole socioeconomic class dispute, which is completely separate from the tax reform, uh-huh. where like you know there's a lot of people that are like, well. This woman shouldn't be struggling to provide for her and her kids. And it's like, yes, I agree with you. Like, she shouldn't have to struggle. Yep. But this other person shouldn't have to suffer because she shouldn't have to struggle. Right. That's that's kind of my opinion. I understand. Like, like what we should do as a society in general is try to change people's hearts and their their way of thinking to where, you know, this guy with the 20,000 extra dollars is willing to turn around and give it to social programs to help out this single mother. Right. Yeah. I see that. I, I see the perspective. Stamps. I see the perspective that that's kind of me. Cause <laughs> like I can tell you right now, like if, if they were like, Hey Dallas, you make enough money that you get 20 extra thousand dollars a year. I'd be like, Oh shit. I'd pay off a fuck ton of debt. I'd get $20,000 again next year yep. because of the same tax breaks. And I'd start living up, dude. I'd mm-hmm. start living my fucking life the way I want to live it. Yeah. Um, I might give a little bit here and there, but mm-hmm. like realistically, like, do I, do I need all of that? No. Like, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to go to what? France for three weeks. Yeah. What I could do is drive down to fucking West Valley and give it to my friend who's a single mom. Right. That would change her fucking life. Yeah. You know? For sure. So it's really like depending on the greed of the individual receiving the break. And the, the whole idea of Reaganomics is like, oh, it trickles down. It trickles down. Like these wealthy people are going to have the ability to invest in other things, but a lot of them don't. Sure. So. Sure. And I think like there's somewhere that lies in the middle that is a hundred percent true because if I believe like if somebody let's, let's take just a self-made millionaire, whatever they, let's say they get a small amount of money and they invest it. They put it in the investment, investment, investment. 20 years, all of a sudden they have this big amount of money. True. I think the responsibility aspect that they chose to do that puts them in a better position to better allocate their money. I've never once, never once met a millionaire. I'll say, yeah, I'll say a millionaire. Someone who is extremely financially well off that didn't get to their position by making other people's lives better in some way. I've never once met a successful person. Well, and that's kind of like Dave Ramsey's premise, right? Like, yeah, even, even above him, even above him, right? I like billionaires. Let's say billionaires. There's not been one billionaire. That's like, I'm going to make a billion dollars to be rich and then done it. They get wealth because they think to themselves, how can I find a problem that everyone has and make their lives a little bit easier. Look at all the shit that we have now, like Google maps and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, it makes life way easier. True. But we just become accustomed to it. 
doesn't mean they don't deserve that wealth. Well, they did kind of change the way things. Now, when it gets politically involved and they start like messing with stuff, I think too big a business is for sure a problem. I don't agree with capitalism in the sense that companies can buy companies, can buy companies, can buy companies. Don't agree with that. Or parties. Yeah. True. I mean, like, they can buy parties. Let's be honest. If you get money out of politics and you make corporations so they can't get too big, I think you should be able to make as much money as you want. And I, I don't even have a problem with, like, KFC. You want to open a KFC everywhere in the United States? That's fine. Don't have another company called Yum Yum Foods or whatever the fuck that can buy them and then own 10 other of them. Right. That makes no sense. At that point, you're using your wealth to extract more wealth. Um. And I, I think that's what the Utah government does with alcohol. I yeah. think that they have a monopoly so they can suck up wealth. Does that go – that's a social program. That is a socialist program, the way that they handle alcohol. It drains the money. Are they spending it putting it back in the community in the most efficient way possible? Probably no. Not. Joe, d- d- fucking Joe down the road who has a passion for alcohol, Cody, for example, opens a liquor store and then makes money. He's a person. He can go out and put money back into the economy as he sees fit. Right. So that's why I think very small localized capitalism is so healthy. But unfortunately, we've gotten to a point where it's about sucking up wealth, sucking up wealth. Well, yeah, and that's always going to be a problem. That's going to exist regardless. Right. Like like you have $100 in your pocket, okay? Mm-hmm. This is all hypothetical, okay. but you have a hundred dollars in your pocket, and I ask you for five. Yeah, how likely are you to give me that? Probably pretty likely. Now, if you've been scratching and kind of saving for a while, and you've got fifteen hundred dollars in your pocket, yeah, and I ask you for two hundred, yeah, how likely are you to give me that? Me personally, I would. Okay. And that's, I think, the beauty of it is it's down to the person, right? Like, but a lot of people won't. And a lot of people would rather hold on to that. And, you know, wealth extracting wealth, what you were saying is um, that that's a problem as old as time. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like the Rockefellers or um, anyone like, I can't even think of other companies from back then, but they they grew their wealth of, off of selling petroleum, right? And then they bought the drills that were drilling for petroleum. Yep. And then they bought the supply line that was supplying the petroleum. Yep. You know, and so now every little aspect of profit from like the end user was going straight to them. Because yep. they could cut everyone's wages. Yep. And a lot of people are like, well, monopolies are illegal now. And it's like, okay, a vertical monopoly is illegal, but yep. a horizontal one isn't. Like you were saying, KFC buying Church's Chicken and Popeye's Chicken. Sure. You know, yeah. like if they all bought – if KFC bought one and then the other, they're all run by the same person. So now they can effectively – Across the board, like even though the suppliers may be different, lower the wages of everybody at all locations, and now end user is paying the same fare. Yeah. But more of it's going to the guy up top. Right. Um, 
So like I think I think like the issue you're describing that you have a problem with is like horizontal capitalism, not vertical capitalism. Um like yeah, like vertical capitalism is uh from extraction or creation of product yep to end user supply right. chains and everything um horizontal is like kind of what walmart's doing like oh we're gonna create a general store people need batteries we're gonna sell batteries people need greeting cards in a pinch we're gonna sell those right some people forget that they need to buy new fertilizer for their grass until the last minute we're gonna sell that blah 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 blah. right and so they catch like they create this store that sells everything Mm -hmm. they move into a town and they're like okay joe's hardware mart like we're suck business up suck business up because joe has to order something three weeks out yep and now like okay now we own joe and his, we have his supplier contacts, yep. and we can open up another store in this city. Yep, and and that's the way that works. So. Yeah, I think that drives innovation. And when we're talking macroeconomics, at that point, it comes down to it can uh, come down to policy in a certain sense because business tax cuts like twenty percent from it was a, so imagine like. You have your own shop, right? You make a hundred mm-hmm. grand a year. Okay. Um, business tax used to be thirty-five percent. Okay, so you'd be paying thirty-five thousand dollars. Thirty-five thousand dollars comes out. So you're then, still getting sixty-five. Then, then you're paying state tax on top of that. Then you're paying for taxes for Social Security, and you're paying because t- you have to pay half of an employee's Social Security. Um. So by by the time you go through all the taxes, you're probably going to make around maybe 35 grand. Now, imagine that for a large company, it really doesn't affect them as much because they can write off so many things. But smaller companies, if you get if that went to 35 to 20 and you could say, "Hey, I have five employees, I could raise all of their wages $3, $4 an hour, whatever." If your wages are higher than what they're paying at the big box stores, People are going to be incentivized to work there. They're going to be happier. They're going to provide better service. Um, but it comes down to money. Like people will go to Walmart to save a few cents. Why? Because they don't have as much money in their pockets. How can we increase more money in their pox- pockets? And then be at a point where it's like, well, I don't mind going to. And that's uh, that's the point I'm at now. Is like I don't mind going to gro- other grocery stores to give them money over Walmart because I hate Walmart. It's yeah. not even that they're cheaper. I hate their company. I yeah. would rather pump it into smaller companies and Smith's, Macy's, all that. They're not. They're still big companies, but I would feel well, much you, better putting it in there. You have to understand that, like Smith's, is owned by Kroger, okay, which also owns Safeway, right. and obviously Kroger outlets. Right. Macy's, I think, is owned by Associated Foods, which also owns um, they own like six grocery stores yeah, yeah. like food for less reams see and that's there's that's the, the vertical. western family there's the vertical thing that i don't like um, um but it's a problem on both vertical no, and no, horizontal. yeah and and so that's personally what i've done is like anytime i see a product uh 
and it's offered in two separate forms. If there's a local, like, say there's a, a nationally provided form and a local form, mm-hmm. I, unless I'm in a situation where I can't, like, say I'm in the middle of Baker, California, there's fucking nothing there. Yep. Um, if for some reason they ever got a Walmart in lo- that location and I needed like a replacement battery yep. for my car, I can replace a battery myself. I've done it dozens of times. Right. I'm going to go to them. Yeah. Because right. I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. But, like, in a big city like this where we have local companies, like, even, like, you've lived here for a while. You've heard the Shane Company ads, right? Yep. No, no, I haven't. I don't listen to the radio, though. For for the jeweler, Shane Company? Mm-mm. No? Really? If you have lived in Salt Lake for any portion of time, and listen to the radio, you know who Shane Company is. On the corner of uh, 72nd South and State. Open Monday through Friday, close Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you, like, you have their ad memorized. Yeah. Um, uh, open fr- Monday through Friday from this time to this time. Uh, open Saturday till 5, close Sunday. That's, like, that's what their ad is. Right. Um, they're a local jeweler. Right. Strictly local. I've never seen them anywhere else. Okay. So I would encourage you, if you live here, to go get your products from them because that's local. Yeah. You know? Same with, like, your alcohol. You know, if you're looking at buying vodka, don't buy Taka vodka. Buy um, Five Wives yeah. or Sugar House Distillery. Because even though, like, the state has this weird monopoly on alcohol sales, they still have to pay the distributor and the creator for what they're making. Yep. So why not, even if it's only 30 cents, gets back to that person. Yep. Why not pump that into the local economy and versus... Wherever pop-ups made. Or why not have a, lo- why not have a, a system? And this is... This is kind of where I have traditional Republican views. If a national company sells in all 50 states, right, they make a shit ton of money in Utah. What's If there was a piece of regulation saying that wealth, you can use that to reinvest, but it needs to be in that state that you sold it. Okay. So that way it's contained. These huge, large companies, KFC can sell as much as they want across the country, but however much you made in Utah goes back into Utah. You can invest it wherever you want, but it goes back into Utah. That way, the people that have gained wealth have to reinvest back into the state. They can they can still make money doing other ventures, but it has to be in the state. I, uh, I feel like that's an okay thing. And same with Taka. You know, they sell a shit ton back into the Utah economy. Then you can get taxes down. You wouldn't have to tax that so much because people are spending, again, with the flat sales tax. Right. If you did like that, there's going to be huge tax tax changes in the next 50 years just because the generation coming up sees how bullshit it is now. Right. And they don't understand technology and how it can be 
there's going to be big changes. And I mean, I would hope one day that I could run for like, even if I ran for like in the house of representatives, the lower house, I feel like there's enough things that I could put down and say like, Hey, I want to get this accomplished. That hasn't been done before because I see the system and we're growing and experiencing the system and our generation, when we get into power can get into these positions, huge change can happen. So I think it's just, just like, learning from experience like you said with the drivers right you live through right. it bathroom break but yeah anyways macroeconomics i wrote down local economics but you said macroeconomics. So it's just that that's the same thing it's just the college term for it okay then looks like we have a scholar over here no i just i'm very <laughs> passionate about that i wanted to get my economics degree for a long ass time so well i still, you know what? still i mean i really still could if i because this associate this associates program that i'm going to go through is just an applied associates so i'm going to already have the prerequisites to get into pt school true um so if i wanted to do the extra credits and get bachelor's in economics i could it'd be a weird mix to have a pt with an undergrad of economics but um you know, um, there's a lot of uh, people I've met out there that have several different passions mm -hmm. in life, and they don't exactly tie together, but they use one to get to another. Makes sense. Um, so it's like, oh, I'm going to get my PTA, and then I'm going to use that to propel myself through this program because yeah. this is something I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing if I got stuck at that level. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you, you do what you enjoy while you're working on something else. Yeah. That's how I'm starting to view it now. And, and that's, that's how I am view this, view this entire nursing thing. Like ultimately I want to work in infectious disease with an epidemiologist, but I want to do like the patient care side of it and data collection. Yeah. Or a pathologist. Um, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I've gotten a few di like directory comments from mentors saying like, oh, you don't want to go after this degree. You want to pursue something more like that over here. But for me, like nursing is a step that if I got stuck at this one step. Yeah. It's not the most glorious life, but it's right. one that I can see myself doing until I retire, if necessary. Yeah. You know, so I, th I think that's a good move is like using one thing to help propel you into another. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, dude, I want to do so much. I just hate how it's structured. I always tell people, I know, I know my destination. I don't know what the path I want to take. That's... And and that's such a big thing, yeah. too. Like, like the the destination. Like, every I think everyone by the time they're usually, I would say, like probably eighty five, ninety percent of people have some sort of idea by the time they're like roughly thirty. Yeah. About this is what I want to do. This right. is what I want to accomplish. But the path to get there is completely unknown right you know so i think it's and my views have changed a little bit like i think it's important to get 
something that pays you well, that you're passionate about, but that you can put money towards investing so that you can not worry about money later and re- really explore your passions then. And it's, it's fast tracking it. Like a lot of the times it's like, well, I'm going to save until I'm 65 and then I'll do what I want. It's like, it's backwards. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. My, well, I didn't say it. My great grandpa used to say it all the time. He used to say like, this is all backwards. You need to live your retirement life in your twenties and work yourself to death until you're 80. See, and I think, I think you should figure out how to take that. Okay. To 65. How do I shorten it? It's just doing the math. It's like, okay, how can I, where can I put my money so that it shortens that? It shortens that and shortens that. So then you can start exploring things because I want to do a shit ton of stuff. But at the same time, schooling takes time. Yeah. Like that's, that's a big thing. Yeah, Um, it does. And, and you know, like as much as we like hammer on the American education system, mm -hmm. there's still a lot to be said for like formal education, you know, like there's some concepts that can't be retrieved without some sort of base form of education. Like say if you're, and I mean like this is really off in the weeds, but say like, you know, you want to be a microbiologist, right? Um, you're not going to know how to like manipulate peptides and shit. If you don't understand basic chemistry, right? And in order to understand basic chemistry, you need to take a chemistry course, right? Well, like, and, and I mean, like, so, yeah. so there's all there, there's all this building that takes place that it's really hard to see when you're in the thick of it. Yeah. But when it comes down to like certain things, like for instance, um, my buddy's becoming a plumber. Right. He's part of a a plumber apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. he's learning on the job by following a master plumber. Sure. So there's things like that that don't require that like base theory, formal yeah. education or, or like even like con- math concepts or whatever. But, um, well, it's even like a, a formal education in a lot of ways is a way that, has kind of somebody directs you into focusing on studying that. Because I think you can understand a shit ton about chemistry used in, as an example if you have the discipline to self-educate yourself. True. Because, I mean, I, I could go buy the books and read them and study them, but there's nothing holding me accountable but me. And right, th- that's right. where self-education can be dangerous too. Um, but if you're disciplined, I think self-education is really powerful. Problem is... Then you have to worry about establishing your credibility with other people. And exactly. that com- that comes from communication, confidence, all of these other things. A degree plays a big role in it, but it's Yeah. I, the, I, I think the degree is the confidence that people have. I've I don't know. I've met a lot of people without degrees that have a lot of confidence, but No, no, I'm saying like when somebody's viewing you for a position, yeah. Their confidence is in the degree you earned, sure. not you as a person. Mm-hmm. Like if you're applying to be a computer scientist, yeah, um, and you have your master's degree from MIT, yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, this guy graduated from MIT. He's got this paper saying he went through MIT. 
I don't know anything about this guy, but I trust that organization he got this paper from. Sure. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that's definitely a, a big thing now. And nowadays you computer science is even crazier. They have 12 week courses where they're like, you want a new job making over 65 grand a year? Take our course. We're partnered with Google. We have 3,500 al- alumni that have went on to Google. So they've toned it down. I think determining what degrees and what field, mm-hmm. they need to focus on that. Because you shouldn't be able to go get your degree in lesbian dance theory and think you're going to get a job after that. Unless you want to teach. Unless you want to teach. And even then, you're going to have to start your own practice because I don't know anyone hiring for one of those right now. Well, if you want to teach, though, there's another aspect to it. You have to get a, you have to get a degree in education as well. Yeah. So it's not just like, like I was talking to that Burke guy during that art show this last week, and he was giving me tons of point pointers on my paintings. So much that it was hard to absorb, really. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I. I've had a few days, almost a week, to process that information. I'm like, okay, I I heard what he's saying, but I don't fucking understand it. Uh, yeah. And he told me, like, you know, if you, like, if you go into art and you get an art degree, the only thing you can really do with an art degree teach. Is, is teach. Yeah. But the other aspect of that is you need a separate degree to teach. It's true. As well. It's true. So... Um, so you're not just getting one degree to make money. You're getting two. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> you know, um, that's how I felt with business. I think business degrees low key are fucking stupid. I think they're dumb. And the reason why I say that is that you can learn about business. Like if I go get my physical therapy, I'm going to learn about the business of physical therapy. Right. Regardless. Same thing going through my personal training program. I'm learning about the business of the personal training. A lot of knowledge from business comes from working at the lowest level of business mm-hmm. and having experience. So I think going to school and yes, it will put you on track. Like maybe you can get a job as a business analyst or whatever. You're still working for somebody else. Right. My mentality is I would rather do the things that I like as passions. Like physical therapy is kind of a passion. Like I, I'm interested in chiropractic. I'm interested in the medical field, chemistry a little bit. I gain experience from the business just by doing what I like anyways. You learn about the business. You learn about the business of hospitals by working in one. doesn't mean you have to go get a business administration and hospital care. No. Um, And and you know what's funny about that is people uh, like that's the route my brother is pursuing. It's very interesting because my brother, like hospital corpsman in the Navy, he's a chief now. So he's more like on the administrative side of things anyway. Mm Mm-hmm like middle management, if you were to put it in corporate terms. Uh, But his degree that he's been focusing solely on is um, healthcare administration. Right. Because he wants to still be involved in healthcare. For some reason, it's a passion that he found somehow. Mm -hmm. I've always been passionate about healthcare and the human body and like, yeah. anatomy and that kind of thing but my brother was never that way throughout us growing up right. me i would like growing up i'd i'd come across these like weird medical textbooks back from when my dad was a paramedic and i'd see like 
you know, diagrams of like muscle structure or whatever. And I'd sit there and I'd just fucking stare at him because I was fascinated. My right. brother was never like that. But he wants to deal with insurance companies for some reason. Okay. He wants to deal with the insurance companies on behalf of the hospital. Okay. And that's basically the degree he's pursuing is like how to navigate that world. And I, I don't fucking get it. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. And he can do that. And there's different paths for sure. I, I mean, there's so many fucking different paths, right? Like even your wife, for example, right? She's a therapist. There's no reason even when – I mean even with more experience in business, like if she took self-initiative to learn about business of something, she could put herself above other people in going for like vice president of, of HR because she understands how people's heads work, right? Yeah. Um, and I think – that puts you above other candidates who, well, I got my master's degree in administration of people. It's like, great. Do you know how people think? And if you can come in with like, well, I learned about the business because I wanted to pursue this. I want to make other people's lives better. I want to help people psychologically. I learned about the business on my time. But what I spent my time studying is how people's brains work. I can make sure the employees are happier. I know how to find that. I know what to look for. That's a whole nother branch just by. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, and it's not even and, in what and she corporations stuck. pay big money for that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, again, I, I've, I don't know if I've said this on here or not, but it comes back to like that whole Richard Bronson thing. You know, train yeah. people well enough to leave you, treat them well enough to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like seriously. Yeah. You know. That that's the key to a happy work environment and happy employees is you 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 train them and you you continue their education and you you grow them as an individual well enough for them to move on. Yeah. But you treat them as a person well enough to remain where they are. Yep. And and you have to that some of that's psychological, some of that's just recognizing the value that you're dumping into these people. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that the military does have down is like, they, they don't view it as like a, a interpersonal value. They view it as money. Yeah. But you know, like I, I don't know what it costs to train your standard soldier, but like, let's say it's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. They don't want to lose that $100,000 investment at the end of four years. Right. So they like do everything they can to talk this guy into staying yeah. on with the company another four to six years or eight years, right. you know, basically. Yeah. And and so the military is really good at that, um, mainly through fear tactics. Like they they like <laughs> <laughs> they're like life is shitty on the outside, man. You have no idea. People are like living in their own shit. They're they're living in squalor. They're like fighting over breadcrumbs, you know, out in the streets. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? And when you're in the military, you go through this whole like brainwashing scenario of boot camp and like, like pretty much by the end of boot camp in your apprenticeship school, you have no idea what the fuck's going on in the real world anyway. So you'll basically believe anything they say to you from then on out. And, (laughs) but like, the cl- it's funny because the closer and closer you get to separating, the more and more they like play up the civilian world as like 
you know, it's Mad Max out there, man. There's fucking cannibals. People are eating their neighbors because there's not enough money or food to go around. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, I mean, like, not quite that's that. Over-exaggerated, yeah, but, that's over-exaggerated. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely over-exaggerating. But, like, it, it, it's to that level, and you're, like, approaching your, your deadline to choose whether you're going to stay or whether you're going to go, and you're like, fuck, dude, I'm, like, I know I want to leave. Yeah. But I'm fucking scared to leave, dude. Yeah. Like, and and so the military's got that down pat. Richard Bronson approaches it from the 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 perspective of I just want to treat them in a way that makes them want to stay. I don't you know, I don't want to fear them into staying with my companies. Yeah. I want to treat them in a way that makes them want to remain with the company. Right. Because after all of the even just like initial training for an employee, say like you have to go through like five days of orientation. Mm-hmm. How much does that cost the company? Quite a bit. That's why a lot go through temp agencies. Exactly. But like you, you go through three to five days of orientation and now like they're, they've already not only paid thousands of dollars to, to train you on on the company itself, yep. they've been paying you for your time to sit through this training. Yeah. So let's say like at the end of one week of orientation, your your worth to the company is probably close to already like somewhere in the realm of seven to ten thousand dollars. Yeah. They don't want to lose out on that. Right. So a lot of people need to figure out how to treat their employees in such a way to where they don't. I think on that. that's a good point. And as somebody who's like, I view myself as very entrepreneurial. Um, and I plan on starting a company that like, I, I would like to establish myself as an owner of a company or CEO of a company. <clears throat> My number one, most important person to hire at that company is the vice. I think Gary Van Gary V put, put it very well. I don't want a vice president of HR. I want a vice president of people. Right. Um, And if I can choose that person and they're a loving person and they're a kind person and understanding and they know how to find good people, because I don't want to hire people that are uh, complacent. I don't want to hire people that are conformative. I want to hire people that will challenge everything. I'll hire lazy people, dude. Bill Gates put it very well. Uh, I'm not going to hire the person that went to school and did all these things and was compliant. I'm going to hire the lazy person because they're going to figure out the fastest way to do the job. They're going to find out the quickest, easiest way to do the job, and we can polish it later. So as long as you're – What do you think about contentment? Define what that is. Being happy with where you are. So kind of like complacency. So you view contentment as complacency. Yeah. Okay. I do. Okay. I'm going to write a note to myself, and we'll come back to this. Okay. I'm just going to say that the whole responsibility of me as a CEO is to push the people around me. I don't even want to say below me. Around me to be better. If my employees aren't constantly striving to be better, I'm going to push them to do so. I'm not going to say you're going to get fired or whatever the fuck. You need to do exactly what I say, or you're going to get fired. I want to instill a, um, what do you call it? A culture 
that is constantly pushing each other to achieve more. Okay. You want to go to school? I'm going to pay this much of it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You want to go get the certificate? Company's paying for it. If I think it's going to benefit the company and you want to progress yourself, fuck yeah, dude. I want that 110%. Now, with certain companies I've worked for, they uh, what they'll do is they make you really complacent and they pay you very uh, minimalistic until you do what they want. And then once you do what they want, they up your wage a little bit. And then you do what they want more and they up your wage a little bit more. And they may provide like a snack room or a break room full of snacks, right? Um, and this is how I view kind of like the snack room thing. I'll, I'll use my current company as a uh, as an example. And I'm grateful to be employed by them. I've learned a lot since working there. Um, but the fact is they feed all of their employees junk food and they make it readily available. People go to the doctor more because they have chronic illnesses and everyone's fucking insurance goes up it's crazy yet they don't give a fuck about personal wellness well-being being healthy they don't give a fuck right and uh yeah but that's that's my own thing but i think anyone in hr like if you're managing people and you're you know five one and you're 240 pounds you can't fucking manage yourself bitch how are you gonna manage other people so I think it really comes down to the leadership and choosing the right people in the first place. Because if I hire fucking Betty and she's, you know, she doesn't have her shit together, how can I be sure she's going to hire the right people? I have to make sure that the people that I hire as a CEO, I trust enough to hire people underneath them without having to worry about it. And there's, there's a disconnect in leadership nowadays. They, they don't give a fuck about the personal well-being of making people's lives better or their customers' lives better. They care about the bottom line. We don't want to spend that much money because it's going to hurt our, better, our bottom line. Well, is it going to make more money because we're offering a better service? That's not the – those aren't well, questions. Well, you run into that problem because of uh, investors. Sure. Sure. I've worked at a lot of private companies that do that. I think our current company is a private company. It's owned by a comp- like a person, um, but it comes down to – well, we don't want to spend that money because it's not in the budget. Well, nothing great ever comes from being conservative in that respect. You have to take risks in okay. some senses. Um, like if I invest $10,000 in finding ways to make employees exercise more, they're going to be happier. If, if the turnover happens where they're actually exercising more, endorphins release all of that i feed them maybe healthier snacks maybe i provide things that are healthier it's like oh i love my job because they cater cafe rio get the fuck out of here i'm not looking to make employees happy that way i'm looking for long-term fulfillment what if i give them a bonus for a thousand dollars to their wife because they're chronically ill or more like what if i can do that okay that's where that's where I feel like complacency, you should never expect anything. You should never have expectations of like what you deserve. Uh, you should be happy. You should. What I'm getting at is that the CEO should focus 100% of their resources in making sure that people want to be there and they want to work towards a common goal. And if you can't unify them behind the mission, you're fucked. 
you're fucked. And that's how it is in the business world as well as the military. It's the mission. What's the mission of the company? Okay. So I'm going to pull you back. Okay. To this thing I want to talk you about, talk to you about before. Okay. Uh, contentment? Uh, contentment versus complacency. So you, ver- you view contentment as complacency. Complacency, I view the definition as being happy where you're at without progressing any further. So I, I would, uh, I'm going to challenge you and say contentment's not the same thing. Okay. Because a huge part of uh, the Buddhist religion and Hinduism is being content. Okay. So uh, from a religious and personal standpoint, contentment is being happy with what you have. Okay. Okay. When, when you have it. Now, that also goes along with the no expectations thing that you were talking about. Okay. Um, you're not expecting anything else, but however, in, in this circumstance of like, like just as a person, okay, I have a roof over my head, right? The lights are on, the gas is on. I'm not freezing to death outside right now. I am content. I am happy with what I have. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I don't go out tomorrow and try harder to be a better person or try harder to help my fellow human or whatever the case is? You're right. You're right. And it's like, no, no. I, I, I'm I, going to go out tomorrow yeah. and try to be better than I was today. Okay? Right complacency is just a complete apathy for trying to be better better period in my opinion right contentment is being happy with what you have and that's where the person find that that's the whole point of like buddhism and um, meditation and enlightenment is to have this actualization of happiness and being okay and and appreciative of where you are as a person um, it, it's really just the idea, like, so from my standpoint, contentment, uh, really comes back to the, this idea of, um, <clears throat> the four noble truths, okay, um, in Buddhism and can like the four noble truths say that Life contains suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering comes from desire. Okay. Uh, to end suffering, you have to eliminate desire. And that leads to nirvana. Okay. Which is enlightenment. Okay. Okay. So n- nirvana and enlightenment are kind of like this one in the same thing where they're attainable and um but even though they're attainable they're they're even attainable at the same time but nirvana doesn't truly come unless you're able to maintain that level of enlightenment in my in my opinion so if somebody like a genuine question if somebody 
let's say you're a construction worker, right? And mm-hmm. you want to learn how to do something better. Does that keep you from enlightenment? No. It, it de- well, I'm going to say it depends. Okay. Okay. What's your motivation for learning how to do it better? To do a better job. Just to just to be better at just the to jo- be better at the job. I would say no. Personal growth. I would say. I would say no. Okay. It, That's where I view complacency. I guess is okay. personal. Is is that a personal stagnation of not wanting to grow in anything? Okay, because, um, like really, uh, <clears throat> the issue here is um. So, so the, the motivation for the desire, right? Sure. Are you desiring to be better at the job so you can outbid the next guy? Not for money. Or not even necessarily not, not for money, but be better than this person or that no, person. No, no personal enviness. Just to be able to be a better individual to do the best job you can do. I would say that's fine. Okay. Granted, I'm not the Dalai Lama. I'm not right. Titnahan. I'm not a. I'm not even a reverend. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I. I would say like if it's for you, just to be able to do the best you can at, as a person. Yeah. That's wildly different than you had looking to advance your skills in order to gain something. Okay. So like contentment's the idea of you know like I can be better at this but I like being better at this won't necessarily bring me anything more than what I have already. That makes sense. You know. That like, makes sense. Like not I, seeking that for monetary worldly stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I can be better at this or that, but it's not going to bring me anything special. And that may be a problem that a lot of people have the lines blurred between complacency and contempt and being contempt. Contentment. Um, Contempt Contempt is different. Okay, having contentment. Because (laughs) if you're you're complacent or complacent, I view that as I'm happy exactly where I'm at. There's no need to get better. Okay. Um, my idea is that I want to ins- not. Ins- I wouldn't even say inspire. I want to drive people to want to be better at what they do. And as long as they don't have complacency in the fact that they don't want to learn more to better themselves for self-fulfillment, not for monetary gain. Maybe it's for family. Like if I can convince somebody that maybe doing this could help with family or whatever, I think it, I think you're totally right. Being happy with what you have is something I need to work on. Something I, I, a lot of people need to work on. I um, need to work on it. Because, yeah, um, complacent I'm not, but contentment. I think I find myself in that trap because it's easy to fall into the, the slip of like, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. This yeah. isn't enough. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I have a friend. He's been on here before, Simon. He's 100% the prime example of this for me. Uh, 
He lives in a house that he bought a few years ago mm-hmm. for the same price I bought this house at. Yep. $450,000. He's done tons of renovations to it. Right. Um, plus normal market growth. That house is now probably worth close to a million. Yep. Uh, for the location it's on. And he's not happy with it. It's yeah. not like he he goes th- he goes from where he's at and he drives through Olympus Cove and is like, I want to be here. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I didn't even ever think I'd live in a location past fucking State Street. Yeah. Towards the east. So for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, Salt Lake Valley demographics um anything west of state street is kind of the wrong side of the tracks yeah uh it's so true. To, it's true so to speak uh so i never thought i'd live anywhere east of state street to be honest um where i'm at now like you know i could happily live in here in this house and in this neighborhood as is mm-hmm. for a millennia. Yeah. I'd be fine. Yeah. Um I never thought I'd be here. Right. Uh and and that's that that's the difference between Simon and I is like, you know, do I see the potential to change my life and get more or be more prosperous? Yes. Yeah. Do I necessarily want it? Outside of the ability to live more comfortably and provide for my family? Yeah. No. Right. Like, uh, if I made more money, um, or when I make more money, or however that's going to work, there's no need for my living situation to change. <laughs> right. To reflect that. In my mind. Right. In my buddy's mind, <coughs> outward appearance is everything when it comes to that. Yeah. Except for his car. But his home, it's like a huge status symbol for him. Huge. Yeah. Like, if he made a million dollars a year, he'd be living in a $3 million house. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, like, and for me, if I made a million dollars a year, I'd probably stay right here. Because I don't need any more than this. Now, the fact that I have the ability to get more is nice. Yep. But do I need more? That makes sense. Okay, I can I can see the line now. I think I think that helped clear it up for me because I'm okay. I'm in the same boat now because I've been stung before. I've been on Simon's side. Right. I think almost everyone has where it's like, oh, I can afford this car. Like it's just right. It's just this much monthly payments. And then everyone will think I'm cool. doesn't fucking work that way. No. At all. And you actually quickly find that it doesn't matter what other people feel about you. It's what you feel about yourself. And that doesn't come from monetary shit. No. Like at all. No, it doesn't. Like if in all actuality, if I, uh, if I made a million a year, I'd probably just get a little bit nicer of an apartment. Like for me personally in my position right now. Yeah. Yeah. You'd. Instead of uh, 
the the one bedroom or the two bedroom you'd get a three bedroom with a guest bathroom and a master bath and a, a nice view maybe yeah like, and and spend a thousand more a month on it something like that yeah yeah, uh, but I'm not going to go outside of my means now because I realize it doesn't mean shit to impress other people. Abs- it it fucking doesn't. Yeah, and and it's it's really sad because there's a lot of people out there that that chase that, and I'm glad you've in a way figured that out when you're so young because there's a lot of people that chase that all the way up through their middle age, even beyond, and um. You know, the Dalai Lama put it really well where he's like, we spend our youth and health chasing money. Yeah. And then we spend our money trying to regain youth and health. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. It's true. Um, you know, like, it, it, it's really like the ability to be better doesn't necessarily mean not being happy with where you are. And. I feel like it's uniquely a Western civilization problem. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and that that's also another reason why um, monks in in the East, in Far East Asia, uh, give up everything. Yeah. So they don't have the distraction of like, do I have the latest iPhone ten X ninety five or whatever? Right. You know, like it's they give up everything. Yeah. So they can focus on being here, being now. Yeah. Do I get to eat no. today? No. Yes, I get to eat today. Why do I get to eat today? Because the villagers have pity on me. Right. And that's how a lot of them live. I mean, they go out and beg for food in the morning, and whatever they get that morning, that's what they get. See, and that's kind of like... That's an extreme. That is that is an extreme, but I wouldn't even think that's the right way of doing it. In my personal view, I view it the same way as like homelessness, right? I view it in the sense that you're taking away your weakness. I think present having something that makes you weak present and being able to overcome that is what makes you strong. I don't think like if I'm, if I'm like, well, I can't deadlift this amount of weight. I'm just not going to be around weight. So I don't think about it. You don't have the challenge there to overcome. It's, it's the lack of challenge. The, like I'm going to avoid a mortgage payment by living on the streets. You become pretty fucking strong from learning how to make that mortgage payment from finding ways you may live in suffering for a minute. And, and I think, yeah, being in this, uh, being in a point where you can be happy all the time is all well and good. But I think some level of suffering always needs to come from true gratification. Well, and that's, that's kind of part of the whole four noble truths path Mm -hmm. uh, thing. Um, and the eightfold path is, uh, Suffering's inescapable. It's absolutely inescapable. Yeah. Um, you you need to basically learn how to live with it. Right. Um. And I mean, like, essentially going to the point of a homeless person as a monk is is different than actually being homeless as well, because. Uh, <clears throat> 
you have to put yourself in the situation of where these guys are at, uh, geologically speaking, as sure. monks, you yeah. know. Um, there's a lot deeper root and tie in the community with those temples mm-hmm. than there is over here. So, like, if if you're if you are from Vietnam, you grew up in Vietnam, you've lived there for fifty years, and you see a monk yeah. asking for rice or just sitting there like with an open food bowl mm-hmm. and just taking what anyone will give him, you're you're probably more likely to give to him because it's just part of your society, right? Right. It's not like over here where people look at a homeless person and they're like, "Get off drug drugs and get a job." You yeah. know, and and that's not the case for every homeless person. But like, I, <clears throat> you know, you're you're equating it to being homeless, and it's like, okay, that's true. But you're also trusting that because of the society you know you live in, yeah, they're going to take care of you, and sure. that's completely unreliable here in the U.S. I think there's a good mix, though. Of people that do give to homeless and I'm very much and I don't even think it's the drugs or whatever it's the dependency on knowing that I will get what I need based on others suffering and and it entails me giving up suffering I don't have to suffer but the people that giving to me suffer like that's that's my viewpoint on it is that homeless people and I'm not talking monks at this point, but homeless people have not experienced enough suffering to be in a place to want to be better, I guess. Because they're going to be on the streets because they know they can make, I can make $400 a day. If I go work a job, I'm making 150 a day. Why should I put myself through that suffering? Okay, but the other aspect of living on the streets that you have to take into account um, is... Uh, the fact that a lot of these people, sorry for those pauses I was trying to write, um, a lot of these, I don't even know if it's a lot, but you know, there's there's a significant amount of these people out there that have disorders like schizophrenia, yeah, or paranoia, yeah, of of some kind, and. They're incapable of holding down a job for other reasons uh, that in the medical field is called social determinants. Yeah. Okay. Uh, They have this condition. They need this medication. This medication costs $600 a month to be on. Yeah. They make $550. Right. What are they going to choose? Food or meds? True, yeah. And then they wind up going into an episode. Okay? Mm -hmm. And now they're having auditory hallucinations, tactile hallucinations, visual hallucinations, whatever. Yeah. Um, And then they get fired. And now they're completely unable to afford their meds. Yeah. And they go delinquent on their rent or their mortgage. They get evicted. Um. And I'm not saying this is all of them. There's definitely, like, people that you're talking about out there, for mm-hmm. sure. But it, it, it's an aspect that you have to examine and identify. Because 
there there are people out there that are homeless because they literally don't have the means to provide themselves with a stable position to retain a job. Right. That makes sense. I agree. And then, uh, like, even to take that further, and I think it was coming back to um, something we were talking about earlier. I think that comes down to, uh, in a lot of ways, family values. Um, the appreciation of family independency, um, because those people have relatives. True. However, I, again, like I, I love to play devil's advocate for you. You know, you know that by now, especially on this show. Yeah. Um. Say, you have schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder or yeah. schizophrenia and bipolar one. Right. Okay. That that's the worst possible scenario I can think of is schizophrenia and bipolar one. Okay. You're prescribed a benzodiazepine and uh, a mood stabilizer to control your symptoms along with an antidepressant. Okay. Monthly cost of this to control your symptoms is $1,300 a month. Okay. And that's with insurance. Yep. Okay. Uh, you're not making that much. So you look for alternatives. What's something that mimics benzos? Heroin. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know... Well, something that mimics a mood stabilizer. Another type of illicit drug. Meth? I don't know. Cocaine? Uh, probably more like um, Molly. Okay. Or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, and then you're like on your antidepressants that are off-label. Mm-hmm. So you need something like Coke, right? All of these options are cheaper than paying for the prescription medication. Okay. Even in mass quantities. Right. Less expensive than paying for the prescription medication on a monthly basis. Yeah. So a lot of people start to self-medicate. And then, like, they're self-medicating through alcohol, heroin, molly, weed, cocaine, whatever have you. And their family's like... And then they grow a physical dependence and then to it and then a psychological dependence and it becomes addiction right yeah and then their family's like well in order to get you clean we're gonna cut you off yeah we have to set a bottom line which isn't necessarily necessarily the wrong thing to do but now these people don't have any support structure right okay and all they're trying to do is treat their mental illness and not having the means or the funds to do so yeah so i think from my perspective, like, I understand what you're saying. There's a lot of people out there uh, that are homeless, and they choose to be homeless because, like you said, they can panhandle and make three, $400 a day Yeah. versus working at a job and making $200 a day. Right. But there's a lot of people also 
in the homeless community that have, like I said, what are called social determinants of health right? that have been cut off from their families because of their behavior. Yeah. Like even, it doesn't even need to be like addiction or like the use of illicit substances. They're just like, I'm tired of dealing with my schizophrenic brother. Right. I, I'm like, I'm just not going to deal with him anymore. Yeah. They change their phone number and never hear from the guy again. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, see, and does that, does that come from the whole cutting out the family thing? Could that be changed over time? Because in the end, like, yes, it's a burden. Like it's a burden to have a kid, right? doesn't mean True. I'm going to run out as a father. That's my personal choice. True. Um, and, and, and that is the family's choice. You're right yeah. about that. You're absolutely right. That's, um, that, that is the family's choice. And I, I think the, you know, again, sitting here drinking, solving the world's problems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that's the, what the forefathers did, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> There's drinking and, and, and talking. Writing the... The, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, uh, uh, the the root of the problem comes down to uh, basically, first of all, you need to see everyone as human. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Second of all, you, like, it's an education issue. Right. Um, the stuff that we're talking about needs to be understood on a basic level across in the entire society. It, it doesn't need, like, I'm learning about it th- through what? Higher education, right? Yeah. A higher level of education that I, I, I'm not paying for, but I paid for with time because I went and, like, joined the military, and now they're paying for my college. Right. But the other people in my class are literally paying thousands of dollars for uh, learning about this. Yeah. And um, a lot of people... Um, especially on the conservative side of the aisle might listen to this and be like, well, that's just bleeding heart mumbo jumbo. That's fine. But, you know, you believe what you want to believe, but the, the root of the issue is getting this base level of understanding out to more people requires it being brought down to a, a, a lower level of education. Yeah. High school level. Start teaching people about this in the 10th grade. Yeah. Because then perspectives are going to change. Yeah. And the overall outlook on it's going to change. And then people are probably going to be more willing to do something about it because they have a, they may not have like a minute understanding of it, but they have like this core understanding of what's going on. Now, does true education, would you say, come from institution? Or can it? Would it be more impactful if it was from community and family? Because I think we lack community nowadays more than anything. We we do, and that's why we don't look out after our homeless people. Right. However, oh, so I I understand what you're asking, and I think it's both. Um, but I think a large problem, especially in American society, is parents yeah take their kids they shuttle them off to this this factory (laughs) 
<laughs> for eight hours a day. Right. And they're like, whatever they learn in there, that's what they need to know. It's really taking the initiative as a parent to like sit down, and if there's something the school's not talking about, and your kid, you even if you think your kid might have a question about it, explaining it to them, right? You know, yeah, like because what is it like? Three year olds ask somewhere in the realm of like two thousand questions a day. Yeah, they stop doing that. Right. But that doesn't mean that they don't have questions. They just get told to shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. After a while, because everyone's tired of hearing, why? Why? Exactly. Like Louis C.K. was saying, like, why? Yeah. You know, just shut up and eat your fucking French fries. Yeah. Um, but once once they get to this uh, ability to intellectually understand yeah. their environment, and as, as that starts to build, okay, send them off to their brainwash factory with the schools, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you have the opportunity to teach your kid about something, even if they don't ask about it, if you notice something and you know that they noticed it too, yep. that's where the real parenting and community <laughs> aspect needs to take a hold. Sure. Because you need to step in as an individual and be like, I'm going to tell my kid or my nephew or whatever about why this circumstance that they just saw exists sure you know yeah, absolutely and and if you want the little like tiny nuggets and the ins and outs and whatever um of of these take a course on it in college mm-hmm. but the base level has to start with with family and community because they're interacting with you the most right, right. like yeah. you you have to identify those opportunities for teaching within your own life to pass on to someone else. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Sorry. I'm, I got on a soapbox. No, I, all, I agree. Like, um, and coming down from that, the, the whole thing of having a strong family depends on leadership in, in a whole, I think. So leadership there's such a lack of leadership in every aspect of our world right now that I think it causes the majority of our problems. If you have a poor leader at work that gives you something that makes you miserable and you take that home with you, you're a bad influence on the person that you're trying to influence. And that's the same thing with teachers, right? They're just people. They have administrators who, who if they're bad leaders, it trickles down into the education. Yeah, yeah. I see it with my neighbor. Yeah. My my neighbor's a teacher. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like getting that, not necessarily, I'm not going to call it objective because she's a teacher and she's in the middle of it, but uh, just the different perspective. Yeah. Like her subjective perspective allows me to be more objective because it's not like what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Um definitely like shows me how it influences her teaching style right like i i moved in here last year and she was like talking to her kids and they read a book about this guy that there was some rock climbing involved and she was like she had this idea and she was like oh i i think i know how to really bring this to life for my kids Mm -hmm. and she was talking to me about it and she didn't know i climbed at the time and she's like, but the problem is, it's like the, 
the school won't release funds for me to bring somebody in right and talk to them about this and like explain how it actually works and i was like look no further you know like right (laughs) but like she she wanted to bring someone in to talk to her kids about like the ins and outs of climbing and like how dangerous it is how much fun it can be and what it takes yeah and she uh she's like the the board just won't release money for me to right get anything to even explain this to them i was like fuck dude i've got forty five hundred dollars worth of climbing gear yeah and ten thousand hours worth of climbing experience right i'll come talk to your class i don't give a shit sure <laughs> but uh that's something that teachers run into every day is uh the fact that like they're like oh I have a great idea how to like really cement this yep. into these kids' minds because I, I I think teachers are are a lot like other people um, in in every job you like your nurses your physicians even even most politicians mm-hmm. right that uh, they get involved because they want to make an impact yep and. <clears throat> then they wind up running against, running into hurdles and red tape and barricades right and left. And they're yep. just like, fuck it after right. a while. Right. Um, so <clears throat> it, it's, uh, it, it's realizing that like whatever your neighbors do, I don't know what Mike does across the street. He's a, he's a strange guy, <laughs> but Again, the community thing. You know a hell of a lot about exercising. Mm -hmm. Probably more than I could ever hope to to know. Well, I don't know about that. Um, At least at this point in my life, yes. Well, I'm very, like, single-focused right now. Sure. But... I want to take advantage of your knowledge mm-hmm. and and your experience and put that to use for me so like I can start climbing again so yeah. I can start being really active in that one community again that brought me so much joy yeah and now I'm not able to do it I'm a fat fuck dude like <laughs> well don't say that and I'll say this with the whole exercise I actually started writing a book years ago when I was in security about what fitness was. And I started the first big chunk of the book talking about getting your mindset right. Right. Because I think the mindset is the most important thing to achieving anything ever. Like if you don't have the mindset, you can't really achieve anything. And um, like for me, I I do like fitness. I like seeing where the body, because I mean, this is our like this is our vehicle to like go out in the world. So for me, it's like, right. I want to make sure that it's as fine tuned as possible. Even though I'm drinking beer right now and a terrible diet habits and everything, um, that's where I lack is the example setting, in a lot of ways. Um, but at the time, I was so focused on doing that and so focused on honing the craft that it made me really think like, okay, what, what is the key to this? And 
it came down to mindset. The only difference between me and me versus two years ago, my mindset was in a different place. Okay. I was able to hone my mindset, even though I was in a worse financial situation, I was in a worse, pretty much every situation. Somehow I was, had my mindset to wanting to get the body better or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, um, that, that was all based on, uh, when I was meditating, I was doing yoga and I, I really explored like what I wanted. And I think that's the same with everything, with every craft. I think we're just so focused on like doing our job or like getting things done, doing what we need to, that we forget to like love the process of doing it. And again, I think that's uniquely Western society. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange, but I think that can come from education because even setting the example, even being an example of something, you have a better chance of people listening to you than if you're just like, this is what it is. This is how it is. Do it. And uh, it, just, it just doesn't fucking work that way. It's, I, I think leading by example is like the fucking biggest thing ever. Oh, for sure. And that's what's lacking more than anything else. It's self-accountability leadership and uh setting an example for other people like if i wanted to uh if i wanted to get some like high-end clients and make a lot of money doing personal training i'm not going to do that in my current shape now like no i i still got to go out and fucking do the work i have the knowledge to do it do i have the willpower to know what i know myself because first impressions are everything yeah Um, yeah and that that translates to me with uh, with climbing, you know. Rewind six years. I mean, I wasn't anywhere near like these pros, but I, I was fucking good, yeah. you know. And I still have that knowledge, but the strength and the capability to carry out that knowledge is completely different. And the willingness to right now is different as well. Right. And I, I need to tap back into that for sure. Yeah, it's really hard to uh, to get that. Cause I, I actually found out in, in personal training, I can't tell people what to eat. It's illegal for me to tell people what to eat. You have to be a registered dietitian to tell people what to eat, which okay. is fucking crazy to me. It's fucking nuts. I actually changed my mentality on that. Now I just tell people what works for me. I do this. This is what works for me. It's not going to necessarily work for you. Um, But at the same time, it's one of those barriers. And I got caught up so long in thinking like, well, I can't tell people what to do. What's the point of me even going down this path? There's different ways of going down the path. And um, yeah, for sure. I, I just think everyone should be receptive to learning new things. Everyone should be receptive to learning from other people. It happened today, actually, at work. Uh, I called them out, too, hardcore. They were like, who's the, who's the actress from Twilight? I was like, Kristen Stewart. And they were like, Kristen Stewart? You mean Christopher Stewart or something like that? And they looked it up, and they're like, oh, it is Kristen Stewart. And I was like, I'm glad your friend Google could inform you on what the right thing was. Glad that you can verify your friend that you know. You can verify the information from fucking looking it up online. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But uh, 
Again, contentment, bro. Goose brava. Or whatever. Namaste. But it, it really does come from self-analyzation and self-improvement. Because if I was doing... I'll, I guarantee you right now, if I, uh, if I did yoga, if I was going to the gym consistently, if I was eating what I was supposed to, I know the things that I need to do. Yeah. It's the willpower of doing them. The second you start doing those things, all of a sudden, the things that you get the benefits from doing those things, people see that and they're like, oh shit, I'm more likely to listen to this person. And I 100% agree because that's the mindset I was in when I signed up for the military. I was like, I, I shed a bunch of fucking water weight to get in the military. Yeah. Like right up front. Like mm-hmm. I, I barely passed my physical. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, fuck, this is something I've committed to. <laughs> right. And I, I don't know. For me, it's it's the the willpower is followed by a goal. Yeah. And right now it's really unfortunate, but I don't have that goal. Right. Anymore. You well, know, and, like... and enjoying things that you have now is a big thing, too, because, I mean, as much as I would like to get in the shape, like, I know, dude, I know everything I would need to do to get to 240 pounds fucking ripped. I know what I need to do to look different than anyone else. 99.99% of people. I know what I need to do. But right. at the same time, I sacrifice things that make me happy currently. And I'm not saying you should like, oh, just be happy now. But at the same time, that's contentment. Though. You need to have the yin and yang. I always viewed yin and yang as cycles in life. I think you need to experience different parts of life. Like if I thought now, like if you would have told me a couple years ago that I'd be like eating pizzas all the time and barely going to the gym and drinking beer all the time, I'd been like, you're fucking crazy. Me too. But at the same time, I'm in this perspective now of like we're doing the podcast. I enjoy doing podcasts. It's, yeah. one, of, it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I've grown more from that. Because it challenges my perspective. I view myself as a... I've built a concrete wall of my beliefs. You better come out with a fucking pickaxe ready to chop it down. Because that's what it's going to take. And that's what I enjoy. I enjoy people challenging me. And I think I do that pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't come come at me with a good argument, you don't believe it enough. That's That's my viewpoint. So if if I'm confident in my beliefs... I can be pretty sure it's right until somebody comes along more confident to challenge me on it. That's where the learning happens. And I think that's where we're at nowadays is we're so afraid to offend people that we just kind of roll with the flow. And uh, I don't don't agree with that at all. To be able to even fucking think, you have to be willing to offend somebody. If if you're not willing to offend someone, you can't challenge someone's thoughts. True. Um, So... And, and that's why I liked the gym and training with partners is being pushed. You need to be pushed in every aspect of your life because if you don't, you become complacent. And, and that's why I want to work with you. Um, like, like seriously, um, yeah. I, I really want you to get this, uh, this license so I can take you over to my gym and have them sign off on you being okay to train me. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, well, 
half of the reason why I was able to stick to my previous exercise regimen was because I I had somebody that was expecting me to be there. Yeah. Right. Like I I had someone that was like, okay, I'm meeting this person at five thirty. Right. Monday through Friday. Right. Or whatever it was. Yep. And and it's like that's like that's what I'm gonna do. You know, like that is and and they're expecting me to be there. Right. And the only time and for me, like personal accountability, you brought that brought it up earlier, but personal accountability to me is fucking huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um if I say I'm gonna do something, right. I fucking do it. Right. You know? Yeah. Unless I'm feel like I'm gonna die, you know? Uh and like just just like with Aaron yesterday or the day before or whatever the fuck it was. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. He picked all his shit up out of my house and then he left and he's like, Hey, I need I need someone to jump my car and I was like, Okay, I'll do it, but it's probably gonna be about an hour, hour twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I texted him at the one hour mark and was like, Hey, do you still need help? Yeah. You know. Did I wanna go help him? Fuck no. Right. But like I I was I still said like, you know, I this is where I am. I'm going to do this. Right. I said I was going to do this, and so if he still needs help, I'll I'll drive my happy ass out there and help him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for me, I feel like that was a huge part of my personal and physical training. Um, yeah. When it came to getting in shape, was like being being accountable to another person. Right. Dude, honestly, like. The best shape that I've ever been, and I, I've noticed this, and this is why I went down the personal training path. The best shape I ever get in, the most shredded I ever was, strongest I ever was, I was teaching somebody else. Really? Yes. Um, because for me, it's more about instilling the knowledge and the, the whole set of it, setting the example. And I've learned so much over time that um, you have to step up. You have to be willing to like put your money where your mouth is in a sense. Right. And, uh, like training with me, like, and I love, I love Chris. Like we've worked some things out of, he's in a better place in life. He's a much better person now. Um, but when he first started training versus when he would train with me is a different ball game. Cause I, I'm not traditional. You're going to do 10 sets, four reps, and we're going to do that. And you're not going to go to failure and all this shit. No. Train three to four times a week, 45 minutes to an hour. There's no need to train two hours at a time. I do two warm-up sets and one working set. You do that working set, it fucking sucks. It's 10 to 12 reps, and by like the 10th rep, you need help. Like even on the machine, partner, hold it up. Slow down as possible, as slow as you possibly fucking can. And you need that secondary person to be like, okay, I'm going to help you in this last like just a little bit. Fucking let it down. Let it down. 45 minutes of training with me, not maybe not now, but in my prime, is fucking hectic, dude. It's fucking hectic. I would do, like, I mean, I did the leg press. I was doing, like, 730. And yeah, and the highest I ever got on that was 600. 
but loving the process. And I think having the partner there is so huge having the will there. And it's just like the, that's why I love bodybuilding, man. It's, it's mental. It's not even about the physical thing. It's having somebody there when you're at that pain barrier to help you through that and being like, Oh shit, I can go through this. That's where the confidence comes from. What, what's your highest ever incline? Incline bench press. Yeah. Um, 285. Really? Something like that. Yeah. See, like, I'm, I'm not accusing you of anything for, I was on steroids for legal reasons. I was Um, on steroids. It's fine. Okay. But I wasn't on anything and my highest incline was 170. I could, I, I think we could get you to 225. Yeah. I think I could get you to 225 in three, four months. Yeah. Yeah. Just from the technique and knowing the science behind it now and the experience um, and how to actually truly build muscle, uh, reactive. Burn fat too. Burn fat for sure. I think that's that's my stance now is I want to get somebody – because the whole training model behind the program I'm going through is you work on – there's five phases. Phase one, stability. Stability, you're going to work on your balance – or strengthening – the like joints. core and everything, yeah. Yeah, so strengthening the joints, getting joint stability. Um, and that that has its own criteria in between that. So you go from uh, uh, like endurance. So that's like phase one. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And then phase two is split into th- three different parts. Um, strength endurance. So it goes stabilization one, strength endurance, uh, hydropathy, which is getting bigger muscles. Then it goes maximum strength, which is gaining strength after building the muscle, and then maximum power or power training. And depending on the client's goals, you can stop at maybe even phase three or phase two even for some people. But it's developing the balance, getting someone down to a low body fat, that drives people's uh, motivation if you can see veins in your arms and you can see the cuts it motivates you to go farther true i would i would say that's 100 percent true so that's why i don't really just uh, subscribe to the dirty bulking anymore like eat pizzas and get fucking big so that you can lift heavy weights and get stronger i would rather get people down to their lowest body fat and i would say workable like I would get a client down to maybe 12 to 13% body fat and then, and then slowly progress after that. Um, because that, that drives the motivation. Um, but I, I would 100% agree with you because yeah. like, um, back when I was doing everything that I was doing to get into the military and I never did any, uh, substances or anything like that. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, like the, the second I started noticing definition, yeah, I was like, holy shit. Right. Like once I started noticing definition on me, which is well after when other people start noticing it on you. Right. Like that's 100% true. Like showing that, like if you're making physical changes, you notice it about two to three weeks, maybe even five weeks after other people have started to you're your toughest critic yeah 
Um, but once I started notice, noticing it, I was like, holy shit, I'm actually making progress. Yeah. And I weighed myself, and I had lost, like, 20 fucking pounds, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. You know? It's powerful. It's a motivator to uh, be able to see your own progress. Yeah, and and I, I think really what I need right now is just someone to hold me accountable to getting to the gym every day. Yeah. Uh, and you don't even need every day. Like I said. I, th- and I understand that, but for for me, like, okay, so... It takes 21 days to build a habit. Yep. So that first three weeks, I feel like would need to be every day for me. So this is to what build I would. The habit. This is what I would say: weight training three to four times a week, cardio every day. Cardio is like. That's fine. And and it's like, I'm saying in the morning, if you're if you if you strictly want to burn fat, there's two versions of cardio that I would prescribe to somebody. The person that wants to lose as much fat as possible, like get, I'm talking, get shredded. This is an extreme. Hour of cardio in the morning, hour of cardio of night at night. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to get to bodybuilding shredding level. If you want to get in healthy shape and get a healthy respiratory system, a cardiorespiratory system and cardiovascular system, it's uh, high interval training. It's high, uh, high intensity interval training, which is basically getting the heart rate elevated, dropping it down for 30 or for a minute, getting it elevated for 30 seconds, dropping it for a minute, getting it elevated and doing that six, seven times. So like 20 minutes of cardio is, is going to be the best way. If you're trying to lose weight, 45 minutes of, of cardio on your off days are the best. Um, I found that even doing (laughs) cardio after a workout has been shown to decrease, uh, recovery in muscle building. So you're not going to build as much muscle without supplementation of other substances. Um, but if you want to go every day, like I, I'm a big believer in cardio every other day, lifting every other day, sort of a thing. Somewhat like that. I would even say cardio every day, like regardless in the mornings. And then when you do the workouts, it's mid mid evening or I'm, I'm sorry, mid morning or late later in the afternoon. So you do your three to four workouts, 45 minutes, uh, three or four times a week. And then even if you can commit to 30 minutes of cardio a day, you can get down to a sub seven, six percent body fat and maintain muscle mass. So long as your diet is in check, um, without substance now with substance, it's a different story because, and, and that's a next level. That's when you've gotten shit on lock. I, Currently, right now, I wouldn't recommend anyone doing steroids unless you've made the commitment to do so. Like, if you understand the ramifications, you understand right. what the what the risk is. If you're willing to make that jump, then I'll tell you what to do. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, you need to go on this to lose fat. It's just not going to happen. Um, one thing that I'm still kind of experimenting with is clenbuterol, just because it's prescribed to people with... Uh, sports asthma because it actually increases the amount your lungs intake the more air you get into your body the more um, efficiently your cardiorespiratory system works the more fat you burn Um, but being able to sustain that it's building the habit of going to the gym doing the thing and then that's like a little bonus extra that makes it more efficient but if you don't have the the motivation to do it you're just going to be taking drugs and sitting around and if you're sitting around on steroids and eating pizza all the time you're going to gain gynecomastia. It's just, it's how hormones work. 
you're not expending as many calories as you're intaking and you're taking a substance that is a uh that's fucking with your hormones elevates your uh it, it gets out of whack everything but yeah gynecomastia always nasty always nasty um <laughs> But yeah, everyone has their starting point. Everyone has their their thing or whatever. Like I was heavily against creatine for a long time until I did the research and the science and actually looked at what it benefits and say, okay, there's probably some benefit to that. Right. Uh, And especially with the strap that I have now, I can actually monitor like, okay, this, this makes a difference. My biggest thing right now is just honestly at this point, dude, it's enjoying myself. It's been a... I can't remember the last time I was able to like just sit down and just like yeah yeah and enjoyment and I I feel like that's a huge aspect for for me when it comes to getting back into shape and um exercising is like when I started it wasn't an enjoyable yeah. thing yeah but I did it because I felt like I needed to do it and I did need to do it and I still need to do it and then I got to a point where I enjoyed it and then I felt weird if I didn't do it right and now I'm back to this point where like I like what I'm doing (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and like it's hard for me to talk myself into this like oh you need to do this right for the like just for your own sake right you know well what if i told you from the position you are in now you could get down to shredded six pack six percent body fat within less than a semester of college like a little less than three months because that's that's truly what you could do like a hundred percent and i believe you yeah for for me it's like I think one of my biggest hurdles is eating out. Me too. Uh, I go out with my wife all the time. Um, She meets with her parents once a week. They go out together. Sometimes I go with them. Uh, Like like right now in my head, I'm like thinking to myself. And and this happens fairly frequently with me. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, okay. I understand what I need to do. Yep. And I'm like, I am going to start yeah, yeah, doing yeah. this. Yep. I'm not going to drink beer for at least a week. Okay. I get about three days into that, and I'm like, I want a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, or like, I'm just going to eat chicken, rice, vegetables. Okay. chicken, brown rice, vegetables. That's all I'm going to eat. And, and then I'm like sitting there at my, in my house by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. It's like, what do I have to eat? Unless I want to prepare chicken, rice, and vegetables, I've got shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about a pizza like not even 20 minutes ago. So I, I mean like it, for, for, for me, it's, it, it's really like I, I need to get a hold of my own mentality because it, I mean, it, it's been so easy 
yeah unfortunately to fall back into this trap of like oh i especially with doordash when i initially did my like first uh fitness transformation Mm -hmm. i was like there wasn't doordash yeah there wasn't postmates there wasn't any of this stuff um fuck uber didn't even exist back then lyft didn't even exist back then uh and so it was like for for me even back then it was like well i can spend 20 minutes making something or i can run over here and order a thing and be back home and not have to do any prep work and have no mess and it'll be the same amount of time yeah uh or looking for even excuses really like oh i haven't spent time with my girlfriend in a while i'm gonna hey ashley do you want to go out to dinner right (laughs) yeah no it's it's... it and and i've fallen back into that trap you know but it's even easier now with fucking doordash i would say the easiest place to start out and again i'm not a registered dietitian i can't fucking advise people what to do what works for me is intermittent fasting starting out um you can easily lose 20 pounds in a couple of weeks doing intermittent fasting um, the hardest part is avoiding, and for me, the hardest part is energy drinks in the morning. I fucking love energy drinks. What if they're no calorie? Uh, it still causes a gut reaction and it, it forces mm. your body to start processing chemicals that are not naturally occurring in the body. Okay. Um, and that's where I kind of fell in love with black coffee or Americanos. Like Americanos give me the kick of uh, a four shot Americano. So it's about 60 shot or 60 milligrams, milligrams of caffeine per shot. So you're looking at about 240, which is kind of like in between the normal energy drink and one of the like higher end 300 milligram energy drinks. So it's enough. And then if I start to get hungry, I'll eat an apple because an apple also suppresses hunger. Uh, And then the first meal is always something small like cottage cheese or a piece of cheese or something. I try to push my calories back as much as possible because then at the end of the day, I can get a pizza and it's not going to, I'm not going to gain weight. Like, even though I drink beer, I eat like shit, I haven't gained a lot of weight. I haven't gained almost any. I get puffy. I retain water. I don't gain weight. Um, okay. I, I stay around the 180 mark because of the intermittent fasting. And then once once you get – because at that point, you only focus on that day. You're like, if I can just push it back just a few more hours, just a few more hours, just a few more hours. Um, and then okay. you and then you can have a burger at the end of the day. You can have – and now are you going to get shredded off of it? No, but you're going to lose a lot of body weight. Like, especially okay. if you do some cardio in the morning, if you do cardio in the morning and can push your calories to 2 PM at night and it's hard, like everyone likes to go to breakfast, brunch, whatever the fuck, even lunch, prolonging your lunch until 2 PM sucks shit. But even within a week, you'll lose probably five to eight pounds. Like you really think so? Oh, I know. So dude, that, that I'm confident in. I've done, I mean, I did that. I got that scale and I've washed my weight. And you're not telling me to do this. No, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm telling you like what I've done in the past and it's worked for me. I got up to 220 pounds where I was like chubby. Like I felt heavy. Like I felt like when I went upstairs, like I was like, oh, like I felt it. And then 180, uh, when I started intermittent fasting, even though I eat like shit now, I eat like beef jerky that's full of salt. I drink 
energy right. drinks. I drink or I, I uh, eat like pretzels and all these bad carbs like bread, pizzas. I still don't go above 180. And a lot of people argue, yeah, but it's you're young. It's because your metabolism. Well, I can tell you for a fact, Cody, Cody weighs, I would, I don't know what he weighs, maybe like 240. I, I, and I don't want to be disrespectful. I, don't, I have no idea what he weighs. He's considerably bigger than me, just, right? Just throw out a number. And... Sure. We'll say 240. He, uh, his metabolism is working harder than mine. His metabolism is not slower than mine. So like even today, I have the stats right here from our whoop thing. Today, mm-hmm. I've burned 1,879 calories, which is about average for my body height or body right. weight right. Uh, just, to, just to sustain living. Cool. He's burned 3,254. Okay. His metabolism is working harder than mine because he's ma- he's, he has to – he's bigger. He ha- he's bigger, right. His strain is also heavier than mine. He consumes more food than me, but he also burns more calories than me. So he's stagnant. Um, it's the same thing with me. It's it's really expending so, the calories. So this whoop thing, how much does it cost if we can't get them to thirty a month? Thirty. Thirty a month. So a dollar a day, about. Um, if you buy it in bulk, if you buy the year up front, I think it's like seventy five percent of that cost. So it's even less. Okay. Um, but it's given me perspective as to uh, what I need to do. And the fact they launched this Teams thing has mm-hmm. been awesome because now I can see like, oh, shit. Like I'll, I'll pull up my stats today. Uh, strain, Cody got a 10.1 out of 21. I got a 4.9. He's worked harder than me. Granted, he has to carry around his body weight. Makes sense. His recovery, he, uh, he got a 71% out of 100 recovery i got a 63 he slept better than me his heart rate variability is higher than mine his resting heart rate is just slightly above mine um he got eight eight uh eight hours 15 minutes of sleep i got seven hours and seven he is more healthy right now than i am not considering his body weight not considering his his uh dietary habits or whatever as far as how his body's reacting to what he's doing he is healthier than me Hmm. Um, and it's pretty interesting perspective cause he's carrying our fucking score. It gives you like a combined group score and he's carrying that shit right now. I, I think we should get that for me. It, it's worth it, man. I, I mean, can I really afford it right now? No. Can I afford not to have it? I don't think I, I, I don't think so. No, it's scientific. Like it's so, it's such a statistical approach to it. And that's how my mind works. Um, so if I can see like, well, shit, uh, you know, I have a couple of course. Oh, I have a couple of beers every night or a couple of drinks drastically affects my sleep. Right. Right. I don't know. I've, I've heard you talking about this for over a month now and I'm fucking raving about it, dude. I would work for that company if I could. I'm that passionate about it. Yeah. And I mean, we're not sponsored or anything, but like, you're constantly looking at that. Um, it's stats. And, then and it's, I, I, I honestly think it's a different way to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. I have no excuses. And, exactly. And and for me, uh, I, I would really be interested in it, yeah. I, I think. Um, uh, in fact, uh, I might pause this to go talk to Liz about it before she goes to bed because – 
what I'm interested in seeing, okay, yeah, is like I'm on this uh, I'm on this down period between semesters. I've I've still got like somewhere in the realm of twenty days, sixteen to twenty days before I have to start back up on school, right, one hundred percent again, and I want to see how that affects me. Yeah. Statistically speaking. That will 100% tell you that stuff. And the interesting thing, too, is a lot of people will think like, well, I've went to the gym. I need to take a rest period. I'm going to take three days off. Well, during that period, they may eat before bed a lot or they may drink. And then they won't have a good recovery for three days. And then they'll go back to the gym not recovered. Because it doesn't right. matter. It, it doesn't matter just how much you worked in the gym. It also matters like what you've been doing. And so for me, if I go to the gym and I go fucking hard and then the next day I have 29% recovery, I'm like, I'm going to take today off. The next day I have a 70% recovery. I'm like, okay. Then it tells you, okay, you shouldn't go above this strain level. We'll go to the gym a little bit. Okay. Get my strain up to eight. I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good. Go to bed the next day. I'm at 90 something percent. Like, okay, these stats directly correlate with my body and I can feel it. I feel when I have a 29% day, I can wake up and be like, shit, my recovery is bad today. And that might be the video game nerd in me. Like I like the achievements, trophies or whatever. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing. I was like, fuck, I didn't get in the green today. <laughs> I'm just that, I'm just, that you know, way. and that, that's fine. That's fine. Um, it's a good addiction. It's a better addiction to have. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely so. better than drinking. But yeah, whoop, whoop is, uh, again, not sponsored, not so. sponsored, but it's, it's good shit. Yeah. So anyways, uh, one other thing. Do you know what the difference between a calorie with a lowercase c and a capital C is? Well, one's a kilocalorie. Right. The capital C is a kilocalorie. And um, kilocalories is actually how you're supposed to measure it. So uh, like whenever we see calories on our drinks here in America, mm -hmm. and it just says C-A-L yeah. or calorie, yeah. um, you should really read that as kilocalorie. Well, kilocalorie, so lowercase c, right? So lowercase c calorie. So if I look at this, right? The amount of uh, the, the temperature yes. that it requires. Like, I, I, I remember this a little bit. Um, it's, it's how much your body temperature has to increase to burn one pound of, of weight, Correct. essentially. Um, and, and it's measured, measured in kilocalories. So yeah. it, it takes a thousand calories to equal one, one kilocalorie. Um, but in America, we label everything with just calories. Right. Now, if it's, if you're drinking a Coke and it says 240 calories, you should actually read that here in the U S and North America as 240 kilocalories. That'd be a lot. That'd be a lot because this is, this is what I'll with it small. Okay. So small C regular calorie, right? One calorie that we measure here, it takes one calorie to increase one gram of water, one degree Celsius. Yes. A kilocalorie is 1000 calories with a small C. Um, and that, that is a uh, one kilogram of water to increase one, one Dude. degree Celsius. Yes. So one pound of body fat is 3,500 
small calories, 3.5 kilocalories. So a kilocalorie is made up of a thousand calories. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm not disputing that with you. What I'm saying is North America. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you go to Europe, you yeah. buy something and it'll say kilocalories on it. It'll say K cal okay. on it. Yeah. It will have a K and then a cal. Is it a capital C on these? I didn't even. If it's a capital C, yeah. Like. Um, so uh, let let me p- try to pull it up. Um, You're right, dude. It's a big. It's a big C. That's yeah. the same thing as a kilocalorie. Yeah, yeah. So so it's a so, but in Europe it's marketed as kcal, right. not calorie. Right. Um, in the U.S. or North America, it's marketed as calorie. Yeah. And you're saying that's with a big C. With a big C. Yes. So if you want to take that, you just revert it to K calorie, kilocalorie. Um, so everything we consume, if you're looking at true calories, you need to review. You need to view them as kilocalories. Yeah. Um. Calories, the micronutrient within the kilocalorie. Exactly. And uh, I wasn't even aware of that until an engineer friend of mine told me that. Yeah. Um, Back in San Diego, I was at a true English pub with him Mm -hmm. in San Diego called Church Hills. And I was like, what's this K-Cal shit that they have next to everything? He's like, oh, those are kilocalories. I was like, what's the difference? He's like, there is no difference. Yeah. We just label them this way here because we're fucking dumb. I don't think it's because they're dumb. I think it's I think it makes more logical sense because here we just refer to them as calories, but in fact, calorie is the the smaller fuel source within the kilocalorie. They're more precise. I think the metric system's way better. Oh, for sure. I I think it's like light years better. It makes so it way so more that's sense. what he was that's what he was trying to get down to is like Yeah. You know, that they say kilocalorie and we say calorie, mm-hmm. you know, like, so 140 kilocalories in France is the same as 140 calories right. in the United States. Right. Um, but if you, you were to do, like, a verbiage point-for-point point conversion, that's not correct. And that's where he was saying we're, like, kind of stupid on that aspect is because yes. we're, like, not. Like, we just need to, like, if we're going to call something a calorie, you know, call a cow a cow. Right. You know. If, if, if it was a calorie, yeah, we should do K-cow here because if it was truly calories, <laughs> this, uh, if you had a 150 calorie, quote unquote, uh, drink, it would be. Negligible. It would be a thousand times that. Yeah. You'd in, have to in, drink 10 of them. Well, it would say, like, if it was actual calories, it would be, what would it be? 15,000 calories per 15k yes. calories. Yes. So they would have to put yeah. 15,000 on the thing. And then at that point, it's like people it's would too, like it fuck with their minds. It's too micro. I don't know why. I think it's misinformation. If I were to. Oh, for sure. It's a marketing scheme. It, it's a 100%. lobbying thing. Yeah. For Cause, 100%. Because like I said, you go to Europe and everything's KCAL. Yeah. When I was in Afghanistan, KCAL. Yeah. If I got like, uh, they had these like. I guess you could call them colas in Afghanistan. We'd get them and they were like marketed in kilocalories. Right. And these are probably, 
like with diet sodas, I bet you there's a calorie amount to them, but there's no KCAL. Exactly. So it says zero calories on it, but also on the side I noticed low calorie do. So. No, yeah. So, I mean, like, basically you're drinking this and you're not getting a thousand calories. You're, you're getting zero KCALs. Yeah, you're getting zero kilocalories. So, yeah. like, you could be getting 800 kilograms, or not kilograms, but calories per soda. Right. And that's still zero, quote unquote, calories. Capital right. C. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely very interesting. Um, it's, it's. And it, isn't that strange that here in, a, in, in the U.S., and North America, we we market it as capital C, so it just looks like the like a, a proper spelling of the word versus right. KCAL. Well, and it went over that in my nutrition program. Um, it said by 2015, over 75 percent of Americans would be overweight or obese or obese. 75 percent of all Americans. And I fall into that category for sure. Yeah, but you're not like you're not clear over 30 we should do uh on that scale we should set up a profile for you and see what you're at so you actually have bone density and like actual stats to look at because it's pretty fucking accurate considering what it is um but yeah base mal- or uh the bmr like i think everyone should be aware of their bmr just how many calories they're uh, yeah calories the- are the I guess kilocalories. Yeah, kcal. Yeah. Uh, how many they need to burn per day to maintain their body weight? Um, because for me, like I said, it's like eighteen hundred. And then if I go to the gym for an hour, that's like a sixteen six hundred calorie uh, boost. Yeah. Boost to that. So in actuality, I should be intaking about twenty four hundred calories to maintain body weight. And right. We we just don't get that knowledge, and it's funny because my. Uh, my coworker's wife is a pharma, uh, f- like a pharmacist or going to pharmacy school, uh-huh. and they teach her in pharmacy school that we have no idea about nutrition. It's like a pseudoscience, essentially. It doesn't. It's not really a thing. We have hardly any info on it, and that's bullshit. No, it is absolute bullshit. It's bullshit. Because then, how would we know about fat soluble versus water water soluble vitamins, or trans fats versus saturated fats? Or macronutrients like vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin all the yeah. additives, creatine, even creatine. Like creatine was, they wanted to ban this in a lot of sports for a lot of years, but it's naturally occurring in uh, in nature. We just don't get enough of it. Although if you take too much, if you take like one serving of this, if you take one serving of this and don't drink enough water, you're gonna get so many fucking cramps because the way creatine works is it pulls water from under the skin into the muscle, therefore allowing you to lift more because it makes the muscle more dense. Um, but if you, if you don't have enough water in your system, it's going to just try to pull and it's going to spasm your muscles and you're going to fucking cramp all the time. I used to get ass cheek cramps like you wouldn't believe. I'd go to like Albertsons and I remember buying Doritos one time and my ass just cramped and I had to sit down in the aisle. I was on the phone with my friend. I was like, my ass cramped, dude. Uh, <laughs> It's a real thing. Not not only that, you also run into the problem of rhabdomyolysis. What is that? Um, 
It's like severe dehydration mixed with like a lot of protein breakdown, and it okay. overloads your kidneys and it causes acute renal failure, known as rhabdomyolysis. Yeah, it, you know it's it's interesting. Um, my uh, my French teacher, who was also the baseball coach for the high school, who also coached three people that made it to the Rockies in the MLB, he was like. I had my guys try creatine. They just cramped all the time. It's bullshit. And I later found out like it's, it's just because they of, weren't drinking enough water. Exactly. And I told him that. And he was like, I never thought about that. And uh, hydration is a big deal. It's a huge thing. Like two liters of water per day is glorious. I fill up minimum. That, I, yeah. I fill up that one gallon thing and it lasts me 24 hours. Yeah. This thing. Yeah. So like Cody will give me shit because I'm not drinking it from here to here in 12 hours but during midnight onward i drink about half of it so i feel like i'm more hydrated 24 hours a day and that's still in a day so i'm technically going through one of these in one day right right because i'll fill it up at, before i go to bed and then by the end of the day it's usually gone right um yeah i mean you you have a tendency to walk out at about 11:30 at night and fill that up at the fridge yeah and then i'll drink about half of it before 5 a.m and then the rest of it will slowly go down. Um, but and, and that's where coffee becomes a problem because it's a diuretic. Right. Um, right. You don't. Or vaping even. Vaping's fucking huge, dude. I didn't realize how much it dehydrates you until I did the research. It completely dehydrates you. Yeah. That's, that's where you get the vapor's tongue from. It's not from, like, eventually you don't taste the flavor anymore. Right. It's because of dehydration. Hmm. And uh, and I got to the point where I was vaping and I feel like shit after vaping. And then I started upping my water and I'm like, oh, man, I feel way better. I feel way better than – and especially if you're vaping, drinking high amounts of caffeine and not taking in water, your body – you're not going to die from it. But at the same time, you have – side effects oh yeah like my skin's broken out that's headaches one, that's yeah headaches just feeling icky i guess fatigued yeah but and then you normalize that and you're like this is how it is all the time and then you just deal with it <laughs> uh, i guess this is my life now <laughs> that's what Co i made a joke to cody today he's like why haven't you filled up your water i was like i noticed some side effects from overhydration. i was starting to feel good with myself so i cut back on my water <laughs> Uh, well, it, I mean, there is a thing such as overhydration, though, too. Oh, yeah. That, the, I, I would say that's over two gallons a day at that point. It, it's water intoxication. Yeah. And honestly, you can't really label it at a certain point. Like, you can't say, like, oh, this is the point where you drink too much water. It's body weight. and it, Well, it's everything. body weight. It's your it's your physical environment wherever you're at. Yeah. If, if you're a construction worker in the middle of Tucson, Arizona in July— you're going to need two gallons of water a day. Yeah. Yeah, because you're – yeah. You and that's what, that's what I tell people. Dude, I hear so much misinformation with sodium that it drives me fucking crazy. They're like, don't eat too much salt. And I'm sitting here like it's an electrolyte. Like it, I don't have a problem with salt intake so long as you're keeping up with your water intake. Because if you're sweating it out, it's not going to make a diff. If you're drinking two gallons a day – uh, even like the salt recommended daily amount is based on a 2000 calorie diet. Almost no one does a 2000 calorie a day diet. Right. Um, 
you can easily so if that's the recommended dosage and mm -hmm. it's recommended that you take in two liters a day if you drink four liters a day you can easily double your salt intake i i don't see a problem with that it's osmolality is Ooh. what it's called what is that um it it's basically like the diffusion pressure of water across membranes okay so uh like if you have an area of like really high concentrated salt mm -hmm. the water's gonna follow that right okay sodium to that area and so if it's higher in your cells than it is in your vessels yeah then the water's gonna follow it to your cells if it's higher in your vessels than it is in your cells it's gonna pull from your cells and go into your vessels okay that um, makes sense uh because uh water is kind of like attracted to it and and so um if if you're keeping it like what they call it is isotonic if you're keeping it like midline with everything yeah um cells intracellular fluid extracellular fluid uh, and in your vascular system you're going to be peeing a ton yeah 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 if you allow yourself to dehydrate at all then you're going to have this really high concentration of salt out of balance in one of those areas and so when you drink water like say you like go for a run like a 10 mile run mm -hmm. and you come back and you pound a bunch of water there's going to be a ton of water expent from everywhere but your muscles because your muscles are pulling all of that that water in to fuel the activity that's going on so okay. you're going to have like this really high osmolality to the rest of your tissues and then you're going to feel puffy and about an hour bloated. and a half yeah after you pound all this water because it's literally going to flush water into those other systems that makes sense that makes sense yeah it's a uh, body's an incredible incredible thing it's like and yeah, I still don't believe in a god. <laughs> it, it's, dude, the the body's like incredible, and no, it absolutely is, and that's why I love medicine. Because like, yeah, I, you know, I I know right now how bad I'm treating my body, mm -hmm. and I know I need to change it. Right, but I am so fascinated by the ins and outs and like just the even just like the microscopic like cellular level workings of the human form yeah yeah it, it's it's incredible and a lot of people go through their day-to-day -day life and they don't ever think about it and that's fine right but like if you really start to look at it and you're like holy shit you know it really is incredible, especially through, it's all through evolutionary thing. Like I know everyone makes a big deal about like animals or whatever being butchered and not eating animals because of the like moral reason behind it. But I guess my mentality is totally different. Like they lived life and sustained life to transfer their energy into more life. And uh, it's the transfer of energy that's like super important. Um, yeah, energy doesn't 
get destroyed it just moves right branch chain amino acids is the biggest thing when you when you look at protein versus how much protein is processed versus how much is wasted you have to look at the balance between branch chain amino acids versus the protein because the branch chain amino acids i like to explain to people that the bcaas are the peep are the are the builders that build the wall the protein build the wall <laughs> build the wall the protein, the, <laughs> the protein are the bricks. You can take in as many bricks as you want, but if you don't have any builders, nothing's going to get built. Build and that's what branch chain wall. Build the wall. <laughs> okay, they build a fence. Okay, <laughs> whatever. But the branch chain Sorry. amino acids, if you're not getting enough BCAAs and you're taking a shit ton of protein, the protein's going to convert to carbohydrates and fat. And you're going to get fat. Um, so... B- or rhabdomyolysis. Yeah. Um, BCAAs are probably the most underrated supplement. And if I think there's two important supplements, if you're not getting enough protein, get the protein powder. Branch chain amino acid to sit throughout the day will ensure that your body's processing protein constantly. The lady at the GNC store um, said something about your body can only process like 20-something grams of protein a day. And... At a time is what she said. Right. And I'm not too sure about that. I think it's closer to like 45 or 50. I'm, I'm not too versed on that research, but from what I remember, it's somewhere around there. So long as the BCAA balance within that protein is sufficient to build the, the wall. Build the wall. <laughs> build the wall. I think it's almost built, isn't it? I don't even know. I don't fucking know. Is Mexico paying for the wall? I have no idea. Are they paying for the protein wall? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I I get what you're saying. And, um, yeah, the the thing I just want to caution people against in all this uh, is rhabdomyolysis and uh, nephrotic syndrome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nephrotic syndrome is where... Your kidneys have become so overloaded that your uh, basically the tiny little microscopic filters in your kidneys are are broken by how overloaded they are, and you'll start to see protein in your urine. It can only be assessed through a test, but if there's protein in your urine, then there's almost definitely blood in your urine as well. Okay, you're like severely damaging your your kidneys because protein molecules are not small enough to fit through those filters normally. Okay. And that's called nephrotic syndrome. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and you're, you're wreaking havoc on your kidneys if you start moving in that direction. So that makes sense. And, and like, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to take a moment right now and just appreciate the fact that even though you're listening to two drunk guys kind of talk about how they need to get their lives together and then probably aren't going to do it um <laughs> uh i want you to appreciate the fact that even now your kidneys are working and they're filtering your blood and keeping you alive and so if you overload them with these proteins and clog up these filters and they break to start allowing fluid through yeah 
and they start allowing protein through as well. Yeah. That, that that's a problem. Do you think evolutionary our livers are stronger because we drink so much more than the earlier generation? I don't know. Because like I, I do know there's a small group of people in Southeast Asia that have larger spleens than everyone. That's interesting. And um it comes from uh they they do a lot of spear fishing by hand, but they do it in deep water. So they've gotten accustomed to holding their breath for extended periods of time. And one thing they've found about the spleen is that it can act as a reservoir for oxygen. Interesting. That's so, interesting. So I don't know about the liver thing, but I do know about spleens. Because at the doctor, they ask you, how many drinks do you drink a month? Well, that's because they're trying to determine whether or not you're killing your liver. Well, that's true. But at the same time, I feel like, if you told somebody, even if you told them, like, I drink a double a day, and I think I drink, like, not to be incriminating, but I think I drink more than that. You do. Yet, for sure. at the same time. I'm going to call you out on it. You definitely do. At the same time, my BMI is less than 25, decreasing my overall chance of getting a chronic disease by over 80%. That's a huge fucking deal. So, so. I'm going to say this, though. It's not um, – and this is the thing that fucking scares the shit out of me personally because I am 100% aware of how damaging every drink I have is. Yeah. And, like, I, I am 100% aware yeah. of how horrible I am treating myself. Yeah. Um, it – it, it's not that single punch. I could walk over, punch you in the face yeah. right now as hard as I fucking could. Yeah. I might even break a cheekbone, yeah. your nose. You're going to recover, and you're going to be fine. Right. If I do that every day, day after day after day, right. are you going to have an opportunity to heal? No. 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 It's the same way with your liver. Yeah. Um, and and so you open up like okay, your BMI is low, so you reduce your risk of like diabetes and maybe some other types of like cardio respiratory failure. Yes, but but you open yourself up to other things like uh, liver cirrhosis. Uh, Portal hypertension with the hepatic portal vein, mm-hmm. um, ascites uh, from portal hypertension, uh, and one thing with diseases is unless it's like acute, like the flu yeah. or uh, food poisoning, like a stomach virus from like eating unpre- under prepared food. Uh, one usually begats the other, begats the other, begats the other. Sure. So, uh, you know, you you develop uh, portal hypertension, and now you develop ascites. Ascites yeah. puts put, puts uh, extra stress on your respiratory system, your cardiovascular system, your spleen, yeah, your pancreas. You're more at risk to developing congestive heart failure now. You're more. Ex- more at risk of developing um, 
uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. You're more at risk of developing diabetes all because you just drank yeah. too much. That Yeah, and that's – dude, I'll tell you right now, since stopping smoking weed, like the, I'll say even the plant itself. It's been almost – since I smoked the plant itself, it's probably been about six months, right? Since like oils and all that, it's been about three months. Yeah. My drinking's gone up substantially. Now, okay. I can tell you right now, I can feel a difference in my body and like my will to do things. And I'm very an opposite person with, with weed. I'm not the type to indulge on food, just eat all the time. I'm the type to like, I'll smoke and I'll realize like, oh, my body feels fucked up. Like, I don't feel good. Like, I feel all these muscles tight. I feel I, I get an uh, acute awareness of what's going on with my body. And I think the worst side effect I get is I'll lay in bed and, like, listen to somebody outside shuffle around. I'm like, the FBI is doing an investigation. They know I have weed. <laughs> like, that's that's the biggest side effect you have. Yeah. So, and I've, I don't really plan on becoming a cop now just because of – you don't? What I was looking at with the police is I was realizing, like, I wanted to revert back to what was comfortable to me, which was, like, the security-esque lifestyle. I'd also be making more money, but it's not what I want to do. Well, and being a police officer is not being a security officer. Right, but it's the all. same lifestyle as far as how the guys treat each other, how they talk to each other. I'd, I'd say it's even different. Yeah. I, I would say it's different. Um. Just the lifestyle of it, I guess. But when I really thought about it, I'm like, that's not what I want to do. It's going to make me drink more probably because that's a lot of the lifestyle. I mean, a lot of police are Marines and a lot of Marines like to drink. And uh, it's to the, the same... point where they get banned from doing so from time to time. And law enforcement are known out of work to like drink a lot. It's just like in drink any... and smoke. Every cop movie you watch. It's, it's, there's some sort of like, they're at a bar and they're smoking cigarettes. Yes. And, uh, I don't want that. So if I can go down the, the healthier route of, of smoking weed and I don't want to get back to the point of like every day waking up, smoking, lunchtime, smoking, going to bed, smoking. That's, that's a different thing. I do miss our conversations though. Well, it's just different, man. It's a different thing. It, it gets that hit of being like. I wouldn't even say, I'm not even going to say intoxicated, but it substitute alcohol in a way that is much healthier. Uh, yeah. It's much healthier. You just feel a difference in your body. I was in my best shape when I was smoking every day. I, I went to the gym. I see, still... see, I find this very fascinating about you personally because mm -hmm. um, a month ago, we could go through the records right now. Yeah. You were like saying you know like i feel like this because i stopped doing yeah since because i stopped smoking weed yeah positive like, things yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah i do think that's i still think that's true i think everything i'm not going to say everything in moderation but again with the yin and yang it takes experimenting to find the balance of what actually works and for me if i stop smoking weed 100 percent, i revert to alcohol and that's way worse for me 
if I start smoking again, I'm not going to stop drinking, but it'd probably only be on the weekends. If I were to guess, it'd probably be just a couple of beers actually on the weekend. And I'd be like, I'm good. Um, well, yeah. Cause you reduce your tolerance to alcohol at that point. Yeah. A lot. And I'm, my, my tolerance to alcohol is extraordinarily high for some reason. Like even during sober October, I probably had like four doubles the end of sober October. I was there. And, uh, you were fine. I felt, yeah, I felt fine. <laughs> I was like, ah, it's nice to be back. Um, <laughs> but now sustaining it, like I did, uh, what did I do? I did, uh, no, reve- no, remember December, no, remember November. Yeah. No, remember November. I don't remember. It's decadent I, December now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's not a good habit to have drinking every single day. It's just fucking not. Um, drinking once a week, I could get back down if I started smoking again. And I've started looking into, you know. You, you know, I, I find it really funny with myself. And um, I don't know. I kind of want to go spend time with my wife before she goes to bed. Uh, so I, I don't know if we should wrap it up here soon or not but um for me like six years ago a six pack would last me multiple weeks really yes wow i'd be able to buy a six pack of red trolley while i was living in san diego uh drink one or two a week yeah maybe okay like is it, it, it was crazy and i prided myself on that mm-hmm. and now i'm on the other end of that where i like i'm kind of happy where i can take on five beers and be like oh i'm 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 good to drive yeah. you know <laughs> like not not quite that bad i never drink and drive like um i have a hard time leaving a restaurant after one drink like and being willing to drive home i'll usually put liz in the driver's seat it's a good move dude um like can you drive i'm like shit i can drive i just can't get caught (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't want to be that guy no duis are not not a good thing and and there was a thing that went through the um circulated around the military a lot uh was don't be that guy it was like a slogan don't be that guy and um i like really prided myself on that because like i didn't fucking drink at all dude like i didn't really start drinking until i got out of the military and i was like i guess for lack of anything better to do yeah really like i was like well fuck what am i supposed to do with my life now yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um so like that that's kind of when it started but uh yeah the whole don't be that guy thing like yeah i can drive just i just can't get caught uh but and i've I, never drunk and drive like some of these people on the road i see though oh, like i see people swerving i don't know how you could get to that point and drive i i don't know either there was i I don't know if the person was drunk or not, but it was probably like in between 13 to 16 years ago. Okay. Um, 
I was driving down 215 mm-hmm. on my way to Our Savior's Lutheran Church. Well, that's back when I was heavily involved. Uh, there was a car coming the opposite direction on the freeway. Okay. From us. On our side of the freeway. So, they were driving westbound. We were headed eastbound, but they were on the eastbound side of the barricade. And that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Luckily, I was getting ready to call the cops. And I looked in my rearview mirror as the guy blew past me. And red and blue started flashing. And I was like, thank fucking God. Yeah. Because I didn't get a license plate number. It was at night. Right. There were, it wasn't at night. It was like early in the morning. But it was just headlights facing us like i didn't catch a license plate i didn't see the make and model of the car or anything um i'm fairly certain that guy was probably drunk probably based off the time of day that it was yeah um i i was an intern at the church and we were getting ready to go to a summer camp so i was just like showing up super early to try to get stuff done because I had a girlfriend at the time, and we had plans that evening, and yeah, yeah. So I was like going to the church like super fucking early to uh, get my get my stuff done and um, be able to make my date. And this guy, yeah, I I don't know. It was like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he had to be drunk. There's like no. I don't know, unless he was hallucinating or something. There's no other explanation. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird. Uh, yeah, I still tell people like, if you haven't started drinking, don't, don't start. Like, it's not a. I start, dude. I started smoking weed before I started drinking. Before I even had a sip of alcohol, so it's a different perspective for me. Right. Um. And uh, but I don't fall into. There's some. There are some stoners out there that give weed a bad name, and that's why it has the rap it does. Right. Because there are a lot of doctors, lawyers, uh, physicians that that use weed, but they just don't talk about it. They don't wear the socks and the T-shirts that have a big pot leaf on it. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into my whole pro-weed rant, but I'm very passionate about it. I think it's it's an interesting... uh, interesting plants i don't consider it a drug it's an interesting spice is what i tell people because it uh oh shit it'll bring to it it brings forefront um things that you suppress that's for sure like if you're not prepared it'll bring forefront like oh i treated this person like shit and that's why they're treating me this way so i don't know if i'd be ready for that that's why i say start small because i started with aaron and we the first time I did it, I did it. Fucking little, Aaron. I did it with a vapor pen. I was like, "Oh, this is all it is." Like you just feel a little bit relaxed. I'm like, "Oh, this is nothing." So I go to Idaho and we're passing a joint. I'm like, "I can do this," and I just remember like it going, and I saw like static and all this shit, and like I just couldn't react to anything except when I needed to. So he would say stuff. He'd be like, "Gosh, I'm like, yeah." 
turn back and I felt like I was just locked. Just like <laughs> stuck. I was like, oh my God, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. Like praying and shit. Like, please, God, please. I'll never forgive do, me. I'll never do drugs again. Please. <laughs> please I felt like forgive it was going to be that way forever. And I remember it lasted. It felt so long and it only been like three, four minutes. And he's like, let's watch a movie. And I couldn't say no. Like I had no capacity. Of it. I was just like, uh, plays a movie. He's like, now we're going to go to the mall. And I was like, nope, not going in public. Not fucking doing that. So I sat in my car for probably three hours. And I remember just looking at the raindrops and seeing the different, like the, the separation in light. And I was like, life is beautiful, man. <laughs> I'm sitting there. Like, you went full on American beauty. Yeah. I looked at the trees and they were like going back and forth. I was like, those are living things. How did I like miss this my whole life? I didn't understand this. Um, <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. It was crazy times. Well, moral of the story: don't drink, don't do any drugs unless you know what the fuck you're doing. I would have to agree, and with that, we're gonna wrap this up. I think. Yeah, I think I think now is a good spot. This has been another episode of Cheap Shot Discussions. Please email us at cheapshotdiscussions at gmail.com. This is Dallas and Caden signing off. Bye.